It's the last day of the month that we record. It's the new Utah podcast. Everybody knows what that means. I'm We're really gonna... excited about this feature, by yeah. the way. I don't, have you got any feedback on the first one that we did? Oh, just lots of people have gone to it on the website. So people must like even just like his basic name. People have searched and ended up on our site. So yeah. So cool. so this is, so this is a thing that we've done once before. We're going to continue to do it. The last episode of the month will be focused on an infamous Utah. Uh, so criminal fam- famous Utah criminals more than anything, I guess. Um, maybe some non criminals that are. Maybe non-convicted. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. There are a lot of them, surprisingly. Uh, a lot of killers. Uh, there are. <laughs> and and infamous bank robbers and shit like that. So we did Butch Cassidy. So if you want to listen to that. He was a nice bank robber. Um, very, very gentleman. Uh, gentlemanly <laughs> fella. That was, what, 140? 141? I think 140 is the episode with Butch Cassidy. Something um, like that, because we're at 144 today. Yeah, so this would have been about four weeks later, because February is a short month. So uh, go listen. It's either episode 139 or 140. We, we talk about Butch Cassidy. Um, that might even be the Snotty Folds episode. I don't remember what we titled that. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, this is a podcast all about Utah. So if you are joining us for the first time, I'm amazed that you found us. Uh, obviously, you want to hear about Utah, so we will do that today. Uh, I'm one of your hosts. Uh, Chris, um, sitting uh, next to me is the producer of the show who does a lot of extra work in the background. That's me. That'd be Jess. Uh, Jeremy is across sort of from her. Uh, he he contributes <laughs> once a month um, for a sentence. Um, does being the founder like hold any weight? No, not really. Okay. Not really at this point. <laughs> Three years I th- in. I think your dad jokes hold some weight because we can always count on quality dad jokes That's and right. architectural slam poetry out of you. Um, See, there's something. That I'll never get over. And then Bree, when she's uh, when she's got time, she does way more research than is probably required to do the podcast. Um, but she's also here with us as a host. I just get bored. Yeah. She gets bored during the day is what she means. Not bored on the show. I hope she doesn't get bored on the show. No, just bored at work because I don't have enough shit to do. So uh, uh, I'm going to start with uh, talking about something that's totally non-Utah related, but I thought it was something cool that I wanted to share. Um, And then we'll talk about some other shit. So... um, I'm a giant Magic the Gathering nerd. Um, if if you listen to the show, you know that. Um, if you know me, you know that. Butch Cassidy was 140, by the way. There we go. Thank you. Thanks for the... You're the official podcast historian now. <laughs> <laughs> and we got an extra hit on the website. Yes. Um, anyway, so I'm a huge Magic the Gathering fan, and... Um, this past weekend was the first uh, Mythic Championship. So Magic just made a big change. So they released Arena um, video game-wise, and it changed kind of the landscape. It was really well-received. Keep this super high-level, dude. It was really, really popular, and it's a platform that has engaged a ton of new players in a game that's 25 years old. Um, so anyway, so they they have a pro that's tour. Cra- First of all, that's crazy. Like, I remember when it came out. That's crazy yeah, to think that's already been 25 like years. Early 90s is when this game came out. I remember playing it. We used and, to play in the park, like family 
parties. Oh shit! Some I, the, of the, the kids wanted to hang out with the adults. <laughs> the cards we traded for back then, and like just fucking riffle shuffling bear cards that are now like these cards are worth hundreds, if not thousands, of dollars in some instances. I'm like, Jesus, what the fuck was I thinking? Because we didn't know. No one knew how long lived this game would be. Anyway, so they've changed some of their tournament structure, and they stopped doing a lot of coverage and and focusing in on these big these big mythic championships they're creating. Um, they're doing a million dollar invitational at PAX East. So 64 players got invited to this tournament. Top prize is a quarter of a million dollars. Uh, the bottom prize is $7,500. Plus they're paying for everyone to go there. So just to show up is worth it. Yeah. Well, and they, they have 32 professional players that they now pay a yearly salary plus streaming and sponsorship rights. Like it's a, things have changed quite a bit in the last year. It's, it's been, it's, had a huge resurgence. So anyway, the whole point of this is this weekend was this mythic championship. I watch as much magic as I can on Twitch. Like ask Bree. I kind of just carry the iPad around with me during the day. He cast it onto the TV sometimes. Yeah. I'll, I'll watch it on the big TV. You've had it on while we've been podcasting at times when we were in the other, when we were in uh-huh, the other. Yeah. It's, and it's, on. in fact, there might be someone playing right <laughs> now on Twitch. Like it is a game that I, I watch a lot of. So anyway, I'm watching this tournament and, Something really cool happened. So there's there is a, a transgender or a non-binary individual uh, that plays magic. Um, uh, Autumn Burchett is is their name, and they have actually been the uh, English national champion two years in a row. So they're at the mythical mythic mythic championship, doing really well, and and they're a streamer and they have a, a pretty big following uh, streaming wise, and got invited to that invitational, but they never like this is like. I think the first or the second pro tour or, or mythic championship event that, that Autumn's been to, Autumn won. Where do they hold this at? So this one was in Cleveland. They're all over the place. So the next one's going to be in London after the PAX East thing. And then Wasn't one recently in Japan? Yeah, there, there's been one in Japan uh, recently. So they're Cleveland. all over the world. Japan, right? London, or Cleveland. There's a lot of magic that's players the in the Midwest. Sticker. Like, that's a bit... So anyway... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you should make that right that London, Japan, <laughs> or Cleveland. Um, but anyway, so really cool. Um, it's it's a, a big deal um, to see uh, a non-binary gendered person win an event like that, and it, it says a lot about the acceptance of that game because that is like. I tell Bree all the time, part of the reason I stopped going to magic stores and playing in paper tournaments and, and doing that stuff is I can't stand being around a lot of those people because they stink and they don't know how to shower. But one of the things that's really cool is how accepting people are. Like, that's the kind of environment that people just, they just play a game. That's like, cool. they just let people be themselves. And, of course, there's always dickheads, but we didn't see any of that this time in the No, chat. they were just playing about the deck. Yeah. That's a whole different story I won't get into, but mm-hmm. I just thought it was really cool uh, to see someone win at that level. Um, you could tell that Autumn was was at a loss for words in, in what that meant. How much did uh, you say she gets? Uh, for this tournament, I don't remember what the prize bet was. It's not a quarter of a million. This isn't the big one that's going to oh. be at PAX, but um, her winning this basically I says guess it's like twenty five thousand dollars. Yeah, it's least. probably like twenty five to thirty thousand dollar prizes. Yeah. Plus, what it does for Autumn is it basically puts Autumn in a position where there's a good chance she, 
Autumn gets picked up as a pro league player next year where they pay her an annual so salary. She sponsorships and stuff. And she'll probably pick up sponsorships as a result. And it will help Autumn stream. So Autumn is a full-time streamer. So Autumn streams in the UK uh, during UK prime hours. That's probably going to get Autumn a, a big stream followers. It blows well. me away because when I was in high school, none of this would have even been... No, not at all. Comprehensive. Well, I just, I mean, just that it, people would get paid to do this. You've got at the University of Utah people going to school on scholarships for esports for for playing video games. It's just crazy. It's so, cool, but it's just mind blowing. It's just a different world. So, I mean, if you think about it, like where entertainment dollars get spent, it's not movies anymore. I know Hollywood makes big big blockbusters. The video game industry, a lot more money in that these days. Anyway, that's my that's my thing. I just I thought it was a cool thing. I thought I'd share it because it's it was just really well. Kind and it's of relevant because SaltCon is this weekend. It is SaltCon is this weekend. Uh, and I got a badass game. They probably won't have at SaltCon. <laughs> I don't know. It I is don't know. The box alone is like is badass enough. I, I don't know if they'll have it there or not, but it's pretty fucking cool. Like I would play that all weekend at SaltCon. You could just take it and like haul it around and be like. Um, anyway, uh, I did want to talk about a couple other things. So uh, last weekend, uh, this past weekend, um, Jess was invited to speak at Wizarding Days. Uh, and we went to a packed panel. That's what uh, I heard. Like they had to turn people away. I mean, it was it was it was like a hundred sufficient. It was like a hundred times more people than showed up to our anime bonsai panel. Like two hundred times more. I mean, yeah, if you count us, I got to be honest. Anything times zero <laughs> is zero. Anything times zero is zero. I know, but it doesn't matter. What did you, you think about it? So what did you think about it? What was your perspective being on the other side of the table? Um, Why did you want to talk about it today? Well, I just wanted to, to get your thoughts on, on speaking on it. One, one, per, one, one thought I, I did have is, interestingly enough, none of you guys... Oh, Travis does some editing, basic editing, but no one really could speak very well to it. And that's always... when I know when we first started doing this podcast, I knew some basic audio editing, but... One of the biggest questions I had, and I still have a lot of times, is what mics do I buy? What mm -hmm. equipment do I buy? Because if I'm going to invest, like, I get going from, like, crappy blue snowball that we had when we did the first few episodes of the podcast way back when, three years ago, to, to actual mics. Like, that was a huge step up, and it didn't cost a lot. But the next step in terms of, okay, now I've been doing it for three years. I actually want to invest more money more than like a couple hundred dollars between the four of us in high quality equipment like what do i go to yeah and and there's no big consensus out there that i've seen so something like that would have been really cool for a, a master class level but none of us are at that level so do you know what i mean like i don't take part in that travis is pretty new to the podcast game and dylan goes to a studio where yeah. somebody else does all for him. So Well and that was that's kind of my point. Like to call it a master class and he didn't choose that name. Uh -huh. Wizarding Days did. So to me that was that was that would have been a fantastic intro to podcasting. Like that the content level was fantastic. It was interesting that the two people the other two people that were there that were interested in podcasting were vendors. Well one was a vendor. But they were also 
they were also to me very like reserved and not like they were hard to get to talk. But they still talked, which yeah. they did interact, which was nice. I mean, you kind of didn't have a choice. There was no one else in the room for them to like. <laughs> they could have just what? said, "No, we don't have any questions." <laughs> so, um, but no, I thought it was. I thought it was good. Uh, it was. It was actually really interesting to hear the difference in how things are done because there are done three different ways between. Mm-hmm. Well, and we're the and only ones that use a board, probably because there's four of us. No, I think. I think Dylan. No, Dylan said he used his. Zoom, didn't he? But I think when they go in their studio, they actually have proper mixing equipment and stuff. I don't know. But I'm not sure. He had his... I know he does... studio. I know he yeah, does work off studio. of the Zoom a lot. Travis records entirely on the Zoom. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that Dylan records on the Zoom when they go on location. But if they have people in the studio, they use a proper board and everything else. So... Um, and I can tell you, like, that's one thing I know to move from this board to, to the next step up is going to be several hundred dollar investment. Um, so, and this board works fine. We figured out ways to make it work. So, uh, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was, I thought it was good. I thought, um, it was definitely not a master class. It was more of an intro class, but I thought in that respect, it was fantastic personally. I think they would have gotten more people to come if they would have said intro. Yeah, because master. If it wasn't at four o'clock on a Friday, that too. Well, you know, <laughs> but I also think like like master class suggests like you're already podcasting. What are the things that you want right. to you know really you know how do you grow your audience? How do you and none of that was stuff that you guys covered, rightly so because the audience didn't fit. But I don't know that any of you could have all answered. of their classes were called master classes. So I, uh, I did. They were all master that. classes. The interesting thing about that is though. Even people who I would consider masters at podcasting, like Kerry Jackson, he couldn't even answer some of those questions. Well, no, because like, he has someone to do it. But he could, Kerry Jackson, and he has on the show, if you go back and listen to his interviews, can answer questions on things like format and form time. and keeping things running and not talking over, like really important things in a podcast. Um, but yeah, and I think like having, but again, like a master class, then you have someone like, I think, Tony does most of their actual post work. Um, and it's it's interesting when you say producer. So we call we say Jess is our producer. To me, a producer is not someone that does the editing. A producer is someone that goes out and gets guests mm-hmm. and, and books things for the show. That's that what sort I think of, of as a producer. But other people call a producer someone that does the post-production work because that's editing and putting it they're producing online. the yeah, show. Yeah, they're producing it in that respect. So there's... There's, both are correct uh, as well, but they're two different things. So, like, Jess and I are both producers. We should just call each other producers. I'm your producer, Chris. That's producer Jess. Put on your business card. <laughs> anyway, I, I did think that the hashtag thing that you talked to, that Travis talked about was, was actually really interesting. So, we, we had a meeting, oh, like, three weeks ago uh, out at Wise Guys just kind of talk about what we were going to be covering and... And I I mentioned that, and he was like, what? What are you talking about? So I'm really glad that he took that into consideration that it's working for him. So, What did you talk about? By putting hashtags mm-hmm. on things? By using hashtags and, and SEO. To mm-hmm. get traffic. Yep. I thought it was interesting that he didn't, that he really thought that he knew exactly what his stats were. Like, I know exactly how many people I've got and how many downloads I have. Because, like you mentioned, Carrie, again, you know, even Carrie can't tell you what he has for Geek Show because of the way things are. So even, like you said, Travis is new, and so that's that's just something he's learning. But even long-time podcasters, still, they're still iffy. 
So some of that actually does depend on your hosting service. For sure. And Podbean is definitely one of the better. And so is Podomatic. Yeah. Podbean, Podomatic. Um, Libsyn is actually getting better now with That's it as hear. well. Um, but one, one thing you have to take into consideration, and we did talk about, is streaming versus downloads. That's going to affect your numbers too. Yeah. So. And, and some of those services can't tell you all that stuff. And some of the services that podcasts are hosted through don't report that information. They pull it once and then they use their own internal streaming to do your RSS feed, uh, and so you, you do miss a lot of those numbers, but it's, I mean, you, you have to think, like, the, the whole podcasting world is less than 15 years old, mm-hmm. and, and being able to track stats on, like, real-time streaming and downloading is in its infancy. iTunes, who the term podcast comes from iTunes, are still in an early shit beta of their reporting stuff on on iTunes. Like it's it's terrible, um, but they're just barely getting to a point where they're able to report some metrics back to producers uh, of shows and, and and content. So, I I thought it was a I thought it was a, a good panel. Um, it would have been a panel that I think would have gotten a lot of attendance at a place like Comic Con. It would be fun to do. I would totally do one again. I, I think I bitched about this from the last maybe two or three cons ago when uh, there was the panel on podcasting and it was like... That we walked out of? (laughs) Yeah, because it was one, like one show that was talking about their show and not about podcasting in general. Right. And I'm like, if I wanted to fucking go to a podcast about your show, I'd listen to your show to begin with. (laughs) Like, that's not what I came in here for. Um, So... That yeah. was annoying. That was really annoying. Yeah, I like that you guys talked about your shows, but that you also just talked about podcasting in general. That was all three of you did a really good job with that. Yeah, for sure. And you didn't. You talked about things that mattered to your show in terms of like how you get guests, how you come up with content. But it was a lot more broadly shaped. Like especially some of the stuff like Travis talked about. You know. I just finally did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I thought about it for five years, and these guys actually helped me get to that point. And so anyway, uh, enough about like the podcasting behind the curtain thing. <laughs> we could do a whole show on it. No one wants to know how the hot dogs are made. Uh, I do, Not actually, because <laughs> if I know how the sausage is made, I know what's in it, and I know when I make sausage, it's fucking way better than the shitty Johnsonville <laughs> stuff. Just saying. Uh, I do want to hear about one other thing from you this weekend, Jess, and then we'll let someone else talk. Uh, I want to hear about your your videography, cake-making extravaganza for the... Did we talk about the invite to the cake thing? Yeah, we did. We talked about it on air last week. No, because no, it didn't happen until Friday. Yeah. Maybe not. No, because that all happened on Friday. It happened actually Thursday night. Yeah, that's right. I don't know what we talked. We talked about some kind of cake shit last week. Yeah, you oh, told me to stop talking about my cakes. It was, that's the, all I ever it was the shark cake that I talked about because I thought that was <laughs> a cool banana. with How the with the, the San Jose shark coming out of the glass. Anyway, so I'm gonna let you tell it. I'm not even gonna announce it. You can tell <laughs> it because not everyone follows you on social media. Uh, what do you want to know? I. Uh, Barely, rarely ever check my cake Instagram unless I'm posting a new cake because it's just for people that want to see what I do that hire me. And I happen to log on because somebody on my regular page started following me that makes gluten-free cakes locally. And I was like, oh, I'm going to add them. So I have them as a referral. I can refer them out. And this guy had commented on a cake that I did last year, the horror film cake, and was like, hey, we're casting for upcoming season of the Halloween Baking Championship on the Food Network. I sent you a direct message. Please contact me. 
So first off, before we get any further, can you actually talk about this or is yeah. there a contract? Oh, no, that... no, I haven't signed anything. Okay. So <laughs> no, I'm still in the process. So the Halloween baking championship and Brian, I actually watched these. Well, they have several, they have this, they have the spring one, which is actually about to start. They have the kids, which is the only one that I watch. I like that one. I've been and watching that one. the girls um, like the kids ones. The holiday, so watch which, all the kids ones. uh, uh, the owner of Fillings and Emulsions has been on the holiday one and then the Halloween one. So Jess gets invited to this and talk about... Well, invited what to e- audition. Yeah, <laughs> let's talk, talk about that auditioning experience. Uh, so I called on Thursday after I had a meeting at work and we talked for, I don't know, probably 20 or 30 minutes and... He asked if I had seen the show and he asked all the things that I could bake and he asked if I was available during certain dates and um, if I was interested, then he needed me to do some baking over the weekend and he sent me the applications. There's two applications. One was like 80 questions and then one was a bunch of other questions and like a three minute video some like 20 photos all the photos of the stuff that I baked over the weekend Um, and then I had my interview on Monday with the casting producer and when we started she was like this is gonna be like 20 to 30 minutes and it was an hour (laughs) that's not a bad thing it's a good sign by the way that's a good sign we probably would have kept talking but my phone was dying (laughs) that's actually that's actually probably a really good sign if it goes twice as long as they estimate because they don't they know how long those things take so if it took a lot longer that means there was something there of interest um, and I, I saw, I'm assuming the pictures you put up on Instagram were from the, what you sent to the competition, the like hand pie. Uh, yeah. So they asked me to make a Halloween pie or tart. So I made both. They asked me to make a puff pastry, Halloween puff pastry, and then uh, macarons. So macaroons. That's how I call it. That's how I say them. <laughs> macaroons. <laughs> That's the fancy way. They are fancy. Well, macaroons are coconut cookies. So macaroons are, but not macaroons. <laughs> I don't add an anyway, extra so egg. That's so. Well, I got to ask you because you made those macaroons or macarons, whatever fucking weird way you want to say it. Just think of Frenchy. the French president's name. <laughs> um, where are they? Because it's my favorite cookie on the planet, and you did not fucking bring them here. They are gone. So macarons are very time sensitive. <laughs> oh, I know. You yeah. can freeze them. You know, they stay well in the freezer. I know. Did Bron eat them? That son of a no. bitch. <laughs> no, actually, my boss called dibs. He was like, "I need these," and I was like, "Okay." So did he give you time off to I do it? Him. No, I just. I did gave it you airtime. S- Fuck your boss. Bring me the cookies. <laughs> Saturday. <laughs> did it on Saturday and Sunday. That's really cool. So, yeah, anyway, so they just asked me tons of questions about my passion for Halloween and for baking and about my personality and crazy things that I've done and did she's you like, tell, she's like, I just want to keep talking to you. Did you tell her I jumped in a frozen lake? I did twice, once, and they actually asked for the video. Yeah, so I sent them the video. Jesus. They asked about my travel tattoos and all kinds of things. It's really so, cool. Your life on a platter for so, these guys, basically. So well, so like you're saying this means you're going to have so many cake she, orders. No, I'm actually not. Um, so <laughs> she said that it's they will edit the video. I had to ask. I had to answer everything in like a long, long form question because they edit all of the questions out, like mm-hmm. being asked, and then they send it to Food Network. And Food Network is the ones that make the. The final decision. She's like, and then I know she had to say it just so people don't get their hopes up, but she was just like, 
you know, a lot of people audition several times before they get on and, and we have other baking shows. So she said, now that you're in the fold, you'll probably be getting other calls. Well, that's, <laughs> that's kind of, isn't that kind of how uh, dad kind of got involved and, and became somewhat of a celebrity chef is through the same thing. Or Viet, not Viet. that Viet. Uh, Why I said that? <laughs> uh, no, I have talked to him also about all this. But anyway, so it's just now they just keep asking for more and more pictures and and just waiting. They said I could hear in two weeks and I could hear in more weeks and I could not hear at all. So that's cool. That's yeah. really cool. And I, I one thing that I kind of want to say to bring this back is we were talking about the hashtags, and that is one of the things that Jess said actually helped them find her. He did. It I is when she made the whore cakes. Yep. Um, whore cakes. The whore cakes. I'm gonna write that down. Whore cakes. <laughs> uh, when she made the whore cakes, the horror cakes. Horror film. Um, yep. She did hashtags like Friday the Thirteenth cake, yep. and that's one of the things that allowed them to find her cakes on Instagram. That's what I said, like right before he hung up, because you know we always ask for the podcast when people contact us like how did you find us and he was like i was just looking for a hidden gem and and so i looked for friday the 13th cakes and then i found you because i was like i don't have a lot of followers on my instagram like i don't really it's just more for pictures for clients to Mm -hmm. see what i do and so since i don't have a website or anything and so like i don't when you submit your applications at the end it's like we get lots of these so we will get to you eventually (laughs) and so it's kind of cool knowing that like I have to wait for anything, but it definitely wasn't in my life plan at all. That kind of stuff in the history usually of ever. Isn't. <laughs> <laughs> and I know people. I was like, I told you you would do this. I told you you should do this. Or we watched the show and we're like, our friend could do this. And I'm like, it's just not in my plans. So I'm doing it more like they ask you, like, why would you be a force to be reckoned with? And you know, it's just more to like prove to myself that I can do it. Cool. So, cool. Yeah. Uh, and and I, it always astounds me when we talk to guests and I'm like, yeah, I don't have Instagram. I'm a painter. I'm like, what? <laughs> Are you, you fucking for reals? You don't have Instagram. Like Jeremy, you don't have Instagram. All the houses you design. I don't. I know you don't. And I give you shit about it every time. I think it's I think it's about a time, it's a time commitment. Like I get it. So I was talking it's to my. It takes pictures of the it shit. Is. It takes five minutes to post a picture. Uh no. Not when you include the description and the hashtags, and it does take time. <laughs> so, yeah. But still, like in certain mediums, like if you are, if you're a comic, you should be posting on Twitter. Like you, you garner followers in a platform like that. Snapchat's actually not a bad place, or TikTok, my new favorite social media. App. <laughs> my boss is. He's like, you gotta watch this. I one. can't stop. Like it's <laughs> TikTok. It's like I'll show you, It's like short videos. Like I'll, I'll uh, show you after the podcast, and I'm really. T- t- I cannot believe I downloaded it. I I look at it like every day for a while. It's mesmerizing. That's all my boss. He's like, why? He's like, why don't you ever watch these videos? I'm like, it's just a rabbit hole that like. It is I don't need to go down. <laughs> I can't stop. And does. the videos are fucking terrible. Like most of them aren't good. Um, they send like weather updates to each other. They have a family one. So every morning I'll hear like each of the people being like, it's 19 degrees and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> the best thing is I still haven't signed up for an account. I'm just watching the for you page. Yeah. The like ones that TikTok randomly decides right. to throw up for everyone. Man. Anyway, so that's what I did this weekend, and it was really cool to just hear their feedback of, like, they're like, we're so impressed with all the stuff you made. So, anyways, it was cool. We'll see what happens. Anybody else have fun a weekend? 
experience. Nope, can't hold a candle to that unless we want to get into the next topic of earthquakes. We had another one that we, we felt. We do, and that's actually why yeah, I started. That's why I started with mine because it, it's a cool thing that that I thought was cool, but has nothing to do with Utah. Uh, and I knew Jess's experiences this awesome. weekend were better. So. <laughs> But yeah, earthquakes, a lot of them, like hundreds. 139, the last count. So last Saturday morning, was it Saturday morning? Last, I think it was the Sunday last morning, or was it Sunday or Saturday, Saturday morning? Saturday morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, woke up to another one. Yeah, it was like 2.30 in the morning. So this, this to me, okay, this is what this says to me. First off, the vast majority of these, no one even knows happened, uh, if it wasn't for the 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 big one in air quotes the fucking like 3.1 magnitude it was 3. a 3.7 yeah and i feel like there needs to be a moratorium on the news talking about anything under like a 3.1 well and so that's just it like if so people felt it it woke people up the 3.7 because that's that's a, a and close enough to a population center that it actually woke people up um so of course now the news is let's talk to the USGS who fucking records shit all the time and no one ever talks to them about the minor earthquakes that they're <laughs> recording constantly but suddenly you have a, a relatively large one uh, and I say relative to the other earthquakes we have in the state and then everyone's talking to the USGS like every day like oh how many this time how many this time how many this well, time well and it's not by the major fault either and so people are wondering if it has to do with construction um, blasting that's up by Mountain View Corridor that's happening um, just because it is close to Bluffdale um, and also fracking. Yeah, I mean, it's always fracking is always a concern, but we don't do any fracking out here, do we? I don't think there's any fracking in the Wasatch about. area. There's not, is there? I don't know. That's I just usually, heard people talk about it. So. That's usually in like... It might be like further south by like Fillmore. <laughs> yeah, which really wouldn't affect us up here. That's too far away. The concern I know for me personally is we've had... None that we could fill, and then in the last two weeks we've had three. Yeah, but uh, to what they was come it? Together, though, yeah, two they? summers ago when we were up at, when I was up at Bear Lake, and there was over a hundred in like a week. Yeah, like just like this, like, and they were normal size like this too. A bunch of little ones like this is nothing. It's it's the the the, the fear is the big one, right? That's and, what, I mean, these startled you but there there wasn't but in the back of your mind you're thinking okay well is this leading to more is well and and you know as an architect everything nowadays has massive oh, earthquake yeah. codes in the in the state of utah it's you don't get earthquake codes in fucking like you know nebraska they don't have earthquake provisions and all their building codes we have crazy ones here mm -hmm. and it's because we're on a major fault line it just doesn't ever actually by the way just shake. as a side note that does not mean your house will survive an earthquake. No. It means it will survive long enough for you to get out. That's yeah. how the code is. Yes, it means you won't Don't die. just shelter inside. <laughs> and if you're in an office building, get the fuck out using the yeah, stairway. Yeah, it's changed. Don't stand in a doorway anymore. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, there's certain doorways you can stand in inside of a building. The ones that are used for fire breaks because they have steel framework around them and they will protect you from falling debris a little bit. Yeah. But if it slides in through the door, it's just going to knock you out of the way. <laughs> but just get to a fucking stairway and exit the building. <laughs> yeah. In an orderly fashion, don't fucking trample people. Yeah. If somebody falls, stop and help them up. Don't this isn't stomp at them. Christmas. This has been your earthquake safety warning. So don't stop dropping. And, and don't roll. be fear mongering over a three point one. Like just take it down a notch and just be prepared. Prepare your family. Prepare yourself. Like. I have some friends that are, like, losing their minds. <laughs> I'm just like, stop. No, what makes me lose my mind is when there's 300 microquakes 
right on the edge of Yellowstone Basin. That makes me lose my mind because there's no fucking way they would tell people, yep, it's coming. That's the last thing you'll but ever hear But they don't know them. anyway. They, there is no way to know anyways. Well, I mean, they have, they're, they're getting better at estimating stuff. Like having live volcanoes in areas like Hawaii really helped them actually learn a lot about the movement. Like there was a seven point volcanoes. something in Peru or something the other day and when we talked about it, like just happened. They were like, we're like, yeah, we're used to yeah. it. But it's the, 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 the really big ones are the scary ones. So you, you get up above eight, you get into the nines, and it creates massive. If we had a nine here, like what they had in Chile, what, a year ago? We wouldn't have yeah. it here. It would, it would fucking demolish everything. Right. Like your your downtown Salt Lake would be in rubble. The avenues, all those places. Those oh, fuck. All those old houses homes. would be just. 13th East is the fault line. Yeah. yeah, and all those houses in Sugar House are not to earthquake code. They're all fucking built 70, 80, 90 years ago. So yeah. it's all shitty electrical, too. So they'll light on fire as they fall <laughs> apart. <laughs> anyway, um, aside from earthquake safety drills, are there other events going on this week or next week, Jess? There we are no about? drills. The, if that's the great shakeout isn't until March or April, I don't think. We did talk about Salt Con already. It's just it's this we weekend. It's it's board game extravaganza. It is not to be confused extravaganza. with not to be confused with GamerCon. There won't be video games. It's all board games and role playing games and card games and it's really a great event. Um, it's fun for the family. Like that's the thing. Like take your family and go up all day and play board games and get taught how to play new board games that you've never heard heard of exactly it, they they will have shitty games like monopoly and sorry but they'll also have really fucking cool games that you can't buy at target that you could go to a, a store like paragon city games a local game store or um like um uh game haven um there's a few others like that that you can go and buy gamers really good board in. Games. is there really a store called gamers in yeah we're at uh, lehigh it's in this cute little house that's why i don't know about it that's where i bought my brother's <laughs> magic cards at christmas one year um but anyway it's that's a really cool event uh what else is going on uh so this weekend we talked uh, about last week, the wine tasting that will be happening mm -hmm. at Lake Effect that they're going to be doing uh, the first Tuesday of every month. So that's on March 5th. Uh, you do have to reserve a spot. It's 801-532-2068. Uh, and they will have a very prestigious sommelier that is in Salt Lake there to teach about wine. Uh, the Cult Horror uh, event up at Brewies in Ogden. Cold horror event? Horror. Oh, horror. Horror. I don't know, should I say it with an, <laughs> with an E? Horror uh, is on the 28th. So they will be doing the last Thursday of every month. Uh, like really hard to find horror films. So. They do that because we're doing our mergers on the last Maybe Tuesday. Maybe they're like, month. we got to coincide. That's a good idea right there. Right? I think so. It's teamwork. <laughs> okay, going into March already. Um, I it. I know, it's crazy. Friday. You guys have your first RSL game coming up on the 9th. Are yeah, you ready? Home game. Can I talk about that? So I, we're, we're yeah, getting close. That's why I it up. So there is a game this weekend, actually. It's the first away game, the first game of the season against Doesn't Houston. Count. It does count. Home um, game. First home game. It, it does count. So something else that's going on Saturday. So there's a big push this year to reunite the supporters groups. I talked about all the various supporter groups before that exist. Well, 
they're trying to get it so like everyone on the south end chants and can get the rest of the stadium and where all the drums are south side yeah well and so what happens now is there's four different groups down there and they start different chants at different times and they're not in sync all the time and so because they're not in sync the rest of the stadium doesn't pick it up as well because the state of utah the way we work is it's just the it's culture. It's the Mormons here. and the Mexicans and the. Yeah, but you but you pick up. So if if a big chunk of people are chanting the same thing, you start chanting that. Like that's just how it works in Utah. It's it's a weird weird deal. That's how it works everywhere. Um, but but uh, so there there's a real big push from the from the front office of of the club uh, and some supporters groups. So they've gotten together. They've kind of created this overarching group, and the club is actually putting resources behind their talk so they've talked about this for several years they're finally putting resources there's actually a person that's in charge of this specific type of supporter group alignment um, and they're doing things like they've given the supporter groups supporters groups a space to paint a tifo so a tifo for for those of you that don't know what a tifo is is a gigantic banner that is all custom paint and fans do them usually once or twice a season maybe three times for really big really important games big rivalries it's just a way for fans to show the team that they really appreciate them so they're extravagant like super extravagant things like i, I should like sh- warehouse size big yeah like they go wow. up over five sections of seats and go up to the rafters uh they're hoisted up by ropes they're up for like 60 seconds and then they come down like that's the kind of air because it blocks get. everything <laughs> That's the kind, but they get shown on national TV. Um, they they get shown through all the various media outlets, um, and and you, it's a it's a big deal in the soccer supporter culture, especially in the U.S. So they've given them a space to do that. So basically, a warehouse space where they can paint. And we're talking like house paint on a on flag material on like bed sheets that are sewn together. That's basically, cool. athletic supporters. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> See, remember what I said earlier about dad jokes, Jeremy? Can't help it. <laughs> dad jokes. I'm going to put that down here, too, on the show notes for you. Um, so they're doing that. They're also doing, um, so Saturday, so Thursday uh, this week, they're also doing a uh, chant practice at the stadium. I think it's at the stadium um, where you can go learn some of the chants. One of the things that they're also doing is giving a space for practice of those chants. So it's really hard to, like, get a bunch of people together with drums and loud chanting in someone's backyard. The neighbors are going to get pissed and call the cops, right? Like, it's not something you can do, but at the stadium, they can be as loud as they fucking what want. What the hell? <laughs> yeah. I mean, basically, I like no joke. So at the stadium, they can they can be as loud as they want. So they're giving them space to do that, whether it's at the facility in Harriman or at the stadium where neighbors aren't going to complain. Um, and one of the things they want to do is they want to start getting people chanting based off of drum lines so they're trying to to get the drums in sync between the different groups in the south end and actually have the drum lines start chants and so they're going to do practice chants so they can get all the supporters groups doing it and create videos to send out to all the other season ticket holders all the other people in the stadium so they know they can learn those chants right because some of the chants you hear and you don't really know what they're saying yeah there's that one about the about kyle uh Come to the mountain. Come I only to know like the mountainside. Yeah, that, that one? one. I only know like five words to that one. 
So, so it's stuff like that. So when you don't really know them very well, but you want to chant them because they're good chants, like those are the things that they're doing this year. So I'm, that's, I'm assuming people just make them up or do they? Yeah, people make them up. So the anthem, which is like, it's the anthem is pretty famous through the, the whole song league. now that we sing every single before that the game. written by Brandon Steinecker, yeah. the, the drummer for Rancid. But they play the, the lead. That lead needs to be shortened. And they might, they might change it. They change it each year. So. Um, but they're they're really working with the fans this year, so that's that's why I wanted to that's bring cool. it up. And again, that first home game next weekend on the ninth is it the ninth or the eighth? I don't know. It's Saturday at four p.m. is when the game starts. That is the homebrew competition. So if you show up early and go to the tailgate lot, bring some money, you'll be able to taste all kinds of homebrewed beer, and it's it's high quality stuff. It's not shitty brews. People don't fuck around for that's this competition. That's the weed killer in it. Yeah, no, people do not mess around for this competition. The people that enter it. They take pride in it. A lot of these people that enter it, they don't even care about the game. Like, they're not big soccer fans. They're just really big, like, home brewers. So, worth going. Sorry. Why are you sorry? That's the first thing I'm on not. my list for you. I'm not sorry. But guess what's after that? The night before, you and I were going to go see DJ Jazzy Jeff. <laughs> Is the Fresh Prince going to be there? No. Then I don't give a shit, because Jazzy Jeff ain't that good. No, it could be fun. He's going to be at the Sky Lounge. I just thought it was really funny. Because one of these days, we could go see DMX. He announced a tour right out of, as soon as he got out of jail, and he's is coming he, to Salt Lake. Is he still alive? Yeah, I mean, he's alive. He's fucking old. That dude is old. He's not that, that dude, old. Whatever. The dude was in his like late 20s, early 30s in the 80s. You know, Michael Bolton's like 66. It's yeah. his birthday this week. I yeah, was he's, like, that's, <laughs> DMX. Probably about the, DMX the same age. Out of jail now, too. Let me, hold on. Let right. me. You, you keep talking about uh, okay. events. I'm going to come back well, with DMX's age. So... Uh, so, so soccer's going on. We have this, the Stallions who won their game, by oh, the way. He's only 48 years old. <laughs> so he's still... That's uh, not he's that a, old. He's a spring chicken. <laughs> the, the, but Jay-Z's 49. Yeah. Makes sense. Jay-Z's way better, though. I'd pay Jennifer to go see, Lopez is 50. I'd, I'd pay to see J-Lo, too. Well, she yeah. still looks good, too. She's amazing. If you've got the money, you could look young for um, <laughs> See all the fun sports going DJ on right Jazzy now. J- or DJ Jazzy is 54. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I was at a, a thing today for work in a hotel, and I saw a whole bunch of uh, what, what's the football team's name? The Stallions. The Stallions. Uh-huh. Saw, they're like they were. I don't know if they were staying there, or they had a conference there, or they had they had all the banquet shit set up for them with their fucking logo and name all over some of the conference rooms huh. and the banquet banquet area. Well, they and won. Like, they won their game. Is that their first win? Uh, yeah, it, it was, was their, their first, first home game. game. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yep. Um, so beat the Hot Shots from Arizona. from Arizona. They got their asses beat by the first game yes and you can go there's four games four more home games and you could go to all four games for 60 dollars. did anyone awesome. show up to the first home game probably it was fucking cold ethan's a huge fan ethan the distiller ethan that was on our show last Chain year Link, ethan. yeah he is a huge fan i was like are you involved he's like i hope someday to invest i was like okay <laughs> cool <laughs> i hope someday to invest <laughs> that's what he said so so i have soccer football and rugby. So the oh, rugby yeah, team is rugby playing, playing. Yeah, on the 8th out at the Zion Stadium in Harriman that you were just talking about. That so that's cool. cool. It is pretty cool. And it lights up the whole entire valley when that yeah, billboard think, is on. That thing is awesome. I like it that is. stadium. Um, 
I'm doing this ahead of time, even though we're a few weeks out, the 15th and the 16th, Travis is going to be up in Ogden doing his show. So anybody that's up that way or that wants to take a drive, you could go have some delicious food. Okay. I got to tell you, I'm going to plug his podcast because I was, because it's hilarious. Because after he told me about the magic mic segment he does and he was the, he was doing, um, um, wrestling. No, he was doing one of the the country singers. Oh, uh, his, his arch nemesis. I don't know. It was it was really good, actually. It was really funny. Is it just him? He gave us a little bit no, of Patrick Star while we were it. there. Yeah, it was him and a buddy. Yeah, yeah, he did give us Patrick Starfish or Star. Yeah, from just Spongebob. Patrick Star. I don't I fucking didn't watch Spongebob. Well, neither do I, but I know his name. Yeah, because your kids watched so it. So late to the party with Travis. Yeah, we're late to the party with Travis Tate. Because like, there is another late to the party podcast. There's like 30 <laughs> other late to the party yeah. podcasts. Yeah, so. so he is, and he's on, he said he's on Podbean, is that correct? So That's where he hosts, but you can get it on iTunes or Stitcher or any other place podcasts are sold. I don't like iTunes because you have to have an account, and I don't want one, so... Don't give me that look. I'm not giving you any sympathy. I don't know how you don't fucking have an iTunes account. It's been around for Why would I have an iTunes account when I have an Android phone? It doesn't matter. It keeps everything. Yeah. It doesn't matter. You can buy music there and listen I to it. I buy music on Amazon. Amazon's cheaper, by the way. And I have CDs and records and things. What, so. What are these What are these archaic forms of audio I'm old that school. you're talking about? I'm old school. CDs. Okay. What the hell is that? Uh, this is a cool thing that happens in Utah. Um, I just wanted to talk about it because a coworker had a friend, unfortunately, that committed suicide this week. And she's only 21. And he was like, everything was fine. And I was like... That's what everybody is saying. Everybody is fine and they're not. So the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention in Utah does this thing called Safe Talk. And they basically travel around the state and do these um, events. The next one coming up is on the 9th at the Provo Library. It's $10 and it's for anybody 15 and over. And it is training to become a, they call it a suicide alert helper. So it's helping to recognize the invitations to talk because most people that are threat, they, they say that most people that are verbally threatening it just need somebody to talk to. And so after that, they're going to be doing them in Cedar City, Brigham City, Ogden, Salt Lake, and then it circles back next fall to the suicide prevention walk that they do up at Liberty Park. So that's important. That is important. That's very important. We have a really, unfortunately, high suicide rate in this state, uh, especially amongst young folks. Um, let's. I'm sorry to. That's like that's my last event. That's well, okay. that's not true. There was one more, but I couldn't find any more information on it. I just thought it was funny. Uh, on the ninth at Hogle Zoo, they're doing responsible reptile care. <laughs> <laughs> don't try to flush and your pythons. Don't eat. No, I was like thinking about turtles. So don't eat turtles. Don't eat soup. turtles. Yeah. Anyway, so that's unless a, you're uh, unless you're Asian and apparently that's a, it's okay. That's okay. That's at ten o'clock uh, on the ninth. Uh, just check Hogle Zoo's page. It's the cost of admission to get to Hogle Zoo, but just watch their page for more information. I on forget that. about for some reason. First off, I hate going to Hogle Zoo in the summer because it's so goddamn unbearably hot. Hot. It smells weird. But but. I don't ever think about going to the zoo in the winter. For some reason, I'm like, oh, the zoo's closed because it's winter. Every so often, Heather will take the kids like... It's not closed in the winter. No. You can go all year round. In fact, it's probably it's way less busy better in the winter. Yeah. than like early spring when it's jacket weather. But yeah, it's like and when the animals months. are in like humping mood. Uh, yeah, Isn't that yeah. early spring? That's when they're doing all the mating publicly. Brown chicken, brown cow. They're, they're, <laughs> they're like, check out the monkey enclosure. We let the males and females mingle. <laughs> 
<laughs> Look at the giraffes. You ever seen a giraffe hump another giraffe? Go in the spring. April is mating season for the giraffes. I don't know if that's true. That'd be crazy. The double, uh, that's just, like the thought of giraffes like getting on top of what each other. What if one other of them tipped over? That could be bad. They would die. They're so tall. Yeah, they can't. They can't. Like, I remember when I was younger. Well, they lost their balance. Sometimes that happens. And I went to the sand. They break their necks. No joke. I was talking I went about to the losing your balance. San Diego Wild Animal Zoo. And and they said no flash photography even in the middle of the day because the flash can blind the giraffe and they will fall. And if they fall, they die. It happens when you're tall. They can't stand back up. Don't have that issue. Yeah, if you're tall, you get flashed. Like <laughs> basketball players, <laughs> basketball players have this issue a lot. They get flashed and it's all over. And they're done. All over. Did you see that the 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 dude from Duke, the guy that's gonna probably go first pick in the draft? No. So he was in, in a game. It was like the Duke and Kentucky. I don't remember who the fuck they were playing. So I don't really pay attention to basketball. But he did a. He went to do a cut with his foot, like just a, a hard stop and. And move, and he blew out the bottom of his shoe and fucked up his leg. Like his foot came, came out, out of his, his shoe. shoe. Holy cow! Like how much force do you have to put on a shoe to have it blow out like that? Ask Nike. <laughs> Apparently, he had a faulty pair of Nikes. I don't know. <laughs> um, but that's that's incredible. And this guy supposedly like there's questions of if he'll play again because he doesn't want to be injured before he goes to the draft because he'll probably get picked first round. He's that he's just like a freak of nature, physically gifted kind of guy. Hmm. Um, okay. So um, we're going to give you guys a break this week from legislative news. We're going to steer away from it completely. We may or may not talk about the history of booze in Utah because it's related, but not really. Um, but I, I did want to bring up a couple of really cool stories, kind of inspiring stories because we're going to talk about some really heavy shit. Shit! Um, <laughs> for the last half of the show, as we talk about our infamous uh, infamous Utah, for another time. No, no, it's relevant. All the oh, time. the booze. Yeah, yeah. We will certainly talk about booze some other time. So, um, but I did want to throw a couple feel good stories in here because the rest of the subject matter today is not so feel good. So, and I didn't put this story in. Who put the pay it forward? Story I did. In? I thought it was so cool. Yeah, it is really cool. So, there's an Ogden restaurant, uh, Ogden, the uh, home of Gangland. Um, it's getting better. You it, live in Gangland It's. Be- I do. Thanks for saying that. I'm glad it's catching You're on. You're welcome. Bree's really not happy about it catching on. <laughs> she just knows deep down it's true. So there are other restaurants like this around the country. Like even Bon Jovi's restaurant in New Jersey does something similar to this. So this is Jesse Jean's in, in Ogden. Yes, on Historic tw- 25th. Blech. Why do they always yeah. add Historic 25th? It's just 25th Street. The whole street is 25th Street. And it's all historic, so... It's all old as fuck. It's old. It. it doesn't mean like... Like, it's not like London historic. It just means old. Maybe like, that's the name of the actual street. It's Maybe like, they it's like an architecture. It. There's a difference between historic and just old. Yes, yes. And sometimes just old is also historic. Listen, if Al... You're just old, right? If, <laughs> Al, Ka, if, Al, if Al Capone was walking down, I feel it can be historic. Um... Okay, but he didn't because he was but afraid. He was afraid of it. I know. Al Capone's historic, <laughs> not Ogden, though. He was afraid of Ogden, so I don't. <laughs> uh, anyway, so they do this thing where people uh, people buy other meals for other people, basically, and they they give them to homeless people, but other people as well, right? They just they decide to purchase an extra meal and pay it forward. It's ten ninety five. And so they buy a meal for someone else that's uh, down on their luck or whatever. I I did want to say 
I've often thought about doing this. They're just mail vouchers that they offer. Yeah, it's awesome. I I go to the, I go to the I go to the drive up sometimes. A lot less now, which is probably why I haven't actually done it because I hardly ever go to the drive through. Um, but you go through the drive through, and I've always thought like maybe I'll just pay for the people behind me. Just as a gesture of like unflinching, I've had unknowing people do it kindness. For me. I've done it before too. It's just a cool thing, and doing something like that oftentimes makes someone else's day better, and in turn, unknowingly, they may help make someone else's well, day what better. What if they paid for the people behind them, and so then they paid for the people behind them? And so, just look behind you and make sure it's not like a minivan full of kids. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's okay too, because you're really gonna make that mom's day mm-hmm. if you pay for her. Kids what if it's meals. not a mom or dad? Or fucking kidnapper full of with a van full of kid. Yeah. Well, I don't think if I'm a babysitter, I'm not packing a bunch of kids into a goddamn car. There's no way that's happening. (laughs) Um, My worst nightmare. But yeah, that. Oh, I I will say this. So one of the things that I've seen on TikTok, we're gonna bring it back to TikTok real quick. (laughs) I want to do this. So there's videos that people will pull up to a drive-through and they like fan out like two or three or four credit cards and they're like, pick a card, and the guy picks the card, and whoever's card gets picked pays for the fucking meal for everyone. (laughs) <laughs> so it's like, here's four cards. Pick one of these four to use. It's like all your work friends. Yeah, is that like your work friends? Because usually I'm by that. myself in the car. Yeah, <laughs> but that's. I'm what, like, which one has the biggest balance? Which one are you going to pick? But that's what I'm saying. <laughs> which one? Which one will get declined? Which one will? <laughs> pick your card. One of them's not going to work. Something actually. Something. It wasn't on TikTok, but. Uh, it was in the Midwest or something or back east and people are not cleaning off their cars in the winter which is like one of my biggest pet peeves oh, next to not using the blinkers bonkers. and people at the stoplights behind would like get out and like oh, go I've and seen clean I was of like doing that. I almost did it the other day to the car in front like of me brushing was, off the snow that yeah. is completely covering their back yeah. windshield like like I'm so glad that you have a hole that you can see five inches of the oh, road that's, that's the best when the front windshield is just like it's just like eye level hole and they I have Twitter a shamed somebody the other day for that like their whole entire car was covered i was like click with your license plate number yeah motherfuckers brush off your cars people all right uh also harman's is doing this is this was actually a cool story harman i i'm a huge fan of harman's you've ta- heard me talk about them before i think they're a fantastic local employer um they 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 have it, good halibut they have fantastic <laughs> so they they do cost a little bit more um, than than a lot of grocers uh, compared to the same load of groceries at Smiths and Harmons you're gonna pay more at Harmons period end of subject they're they're more expensive but they're local they're not ran by a, a large corporation outside the state of Utah Smiths is run by the Kerber Corporation um, contrary to belief it's not a Utah original Smiths is just a Kroger store uh, with a different name that's why you buy Kroger. There. Yeah, um, but but Harmons Harmons they, so they they started recognizing something which was employees weren't really happy they weren't really motivated they weren't really moving well around. they were noticing that they were training new people that came in but all the rest of the people that were there were just doing their same old job every day yeah and. One of the things that happens when you do that is you kind of get, you become complacent. You don't see a place for advancement. And eventually you decide you want to go get a different job because you don't see a, a shift in, in placement. Now, grocery stores traditionally, like, they're careers for people. It's not Walmart. It's a grocery store and they have unions and they pay their, their, their associates appropriately. Well, especially um, if you're like working a deli counter or a meat counter or the bakery. 
And there's All things that. you can do long-term as a career, and Harmon's is the type of place where, yeah, you're a baker. You're an actual meat cutter or butcher. You you are uh, well, think uh, about Harmon's, like, their whole deli section and what they're creating there every day. Well, yeah. the cheeses. You're a cheesemonger. Import cheeses. Yeah. Like, like, there are legitimate career opportunities at this grocery store. So Harmon's has created a career day. Where people can cross train. Five days. Yeah. And, five and they're, days. They're going to do more than this, but this is a part of a program to try and basically improve employee training, employee morale, give employees opportunities to move around the, the business. And well, and even some management um, training. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, really cool. And like the, the one of the courses is the science of evolution of taste. I want to take that class. And I was really I want to go get it. a job at Harmon's just so I can take that class. And there and it's and it's like it's tasting things that you wouldn't think about that make a big difference and and understanding the flavor profile differences of of subtle things. And that's a big deal is they create like you go look at their pre prepared stuff in their not just in their in their deli counter, but they have a big case full of stuff that people buy and and what kind combinations of stuff they create and back in their produce department they have all the fucking salsas and things like that that they make now that are that are out of this world their so. salami and cheese class would be worth taking all right fat jeremy <laughs> <laughs> but i i just thought that was really cool to see Harmon's doing something like that because it's it is it's a it's a a, a really cool thing well they're investing in the people that are helping us locally and yeah. handling local products. Well, and so. they carry, and, and that's another thing we need to talk about. They carry stuff like Ruby Snap cookies. They carry almost every local, yeah, almost every local brewer, tro- chocolate conspiracy. Most of the people that we've talked to that have local uh, goods, Harmons carries them for them. They have contracts with Harmons and then a whole bunch of other small boutique shops like Caputo's. But Harmons is almost universally someone that carries, like in the summer, Harmon's, if you can't get to the farmer's market, Harmon's has a whole bunch of local produce that they sell all summer long, seasonal stuff, and it's clearly marked, and it's not outrageously priced like the organic stuff is. That's a fucking racket, by the way. Don't get me started. All right. So now now is the part of the episode where uh, we get to talk about um, the fucked up side of Utah. There's been some crazy shit that's happened in this state, right? So we always talk about the new Utah, the, the things that are great, what we love about the state of Utah. Um, but Utah has some, some, and most states have these people, infamous infamous people uh, from the state, or that, that the state has some sort of... All these people came from somewhere. Well, yeah. Like today's. <laughs> so uh, today, so we again, we, we talked about Butch Cassidy a month ago. Um, he was our first infamous Utahan. Um, that's episode 140 as Bree pointed out. If you want to go listen to it, um, please do. Today, we're going to talk about Ted Bundy, um, in part because of the crazy stuff that's happened with Ted Bundy in the last couple of, like, really, like, a month, basically. Well, so you have it, the, it's been his anniversary of his execution. So. Yeah, so you have the Ted Bundy tapes that came out mm-hmm. uh, on Netflix, a, a really cool, short, sort of mini docuseries. And then, um, what's the name of the movie that Zac Efron was in? It's way too long. It's um, called Extremely Wicked and something, something, something. Yeah, so a dramatized Ted Bundy... From her perspective, from, from his girlfriend's perspective. Yeah, from, from um, the... Elizabeth. The first girlfriend in Washington, right? Oh, the first girlfriend, not yeah, not the one the, that the one yeah, that turned him, the one that Elizabeth. turned a man in Washington. Um, so anyway, that was at Sundance uh, and and got really good reviews and and so you'll probably see that coming out at some point. But we decided it would be appropriate to talk Elizabeth about Elizabeth Klopfer. 
Is that her name? Yeah. It's K-L-O-E-P-F-E-R. I don't know how to say that. Klepfer, Klofer. It doesn't matter. Some foreign name. She's a foreigner. She's from Washington. (laughs) Um, She's an LDS girl. So anyway, uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about Ted Bundy for a little bit. Um, So Ted Bundy is not from Utah. Um, Ted Bundy was actually from Vermont, born in Vermont and and, uh, Burlington, Vermont. Uh, is that where he grew up? I can't. I don't remember if he actually grew up. Yeah, there. he didn't move to Washington until he went there to go to school, right? Uh, he was a teenager. He moved. So to his his dad was not there. He was kind of raised by his mom and his grandpa. His mom was wackadoodle. Yeah, and I think his. I don't think his grand. the 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 rumor is his grandfather was was really quite abusive. Um, so, and it's interesting, like the Ted Bundy tapes themselves. So they painted a picture of when they talked to people that he went to high school with, that he was just like this kind of average, like he was just there, like he wasn't extraordinary in anything. But then you talk to people who knew him later in life, like this girlfriend and he was, he was like an, uh, you know, an athlete and he was on the football team and the star of the wrestling team. He had a speech impediment. And and so like there's there's this very different kind of picture that he painted to people versus what what is thought to be what reality was for him growing up. Well, even when you go back and read interviews about the people that interviewed him, like the psychologist and the like, the Utah uh, district attorney, they said he only told you what he wanted you to hear. Like nobody really knows. Yeah, Ted like, Bundy. Like in one of the one of the psychologists from Utah, he told him how beautiful Utah was and he's all he it's the place he knew he wanted to live and but what what they said he was describing was southern Utah in his description not Salt Lake where he lived so yeah the the stories are very I do get the impression though based on like where he dumped bodies and things like that that he actually loved the mountains well he did a lot of traveling down south too uh, through Scipio, he went clear down to Capitol Reef. Mm-hmm. Well, he dumped bodies in Capitol Reef. Yeah. So at least that's where he says he dumped them. No one's actually found those bodies yet. Um, so anyway, so we'll we'll, we'll kind of let's let's talk. I think through a little bit. We're going to spend a lot of time on his time in Utah. It's very significant in what Ted Bundy was and did. Um, so basically, there's this guy who grows up in Vermont, kind of goes out to the North Pacific Northwest Washington State, I think, uh, to spend his formative years. Goes to college at the University of Washington, right? I think he, yeah. I think he, didn't he get his first degree there? I think. Yeah, psychology. Yeah, he yeah. got a degree in psychology there. Um, and um, that's where the fun started. Yeah, actually. the University of Washington in 1966 where he obtained his undergraduate degree. And that's where the fun started. And so, I say fun. <laughs> so well, that's not really where the fun started. If you look back... So I know we're focusing on Utah, but since he's we're going to start in Washington, um, I think that he's he started prior to that because they have some unknown things. Um, well, his earliest confirmed victim was in 1974, but they're assuming as early as 1972. Uh, n- no, there's some back in uh, like 1961, 1966, oh. 1969. Um, that they per- perhaps New think, Jersey, Vermont, yeah. That they think may be attributable to him, mm-hmm. um, and and that's one of the mysteries. Like like Ted Bundy, on basically on death row, like on his on his essentially deathbed, like the day before like he the was day before. the day before his execution, he was. A lot of people speculate that he was trying to hold that trump card to delay his execution. Uh, well, but he, he did. He tried to say, "I'll give you more information if you." 
stay my last execution. And, and, and they, they, they refused, and so then he still spilled the beans, and, and spilled the beans is relative. He admitted to over 30 killings uh, that were known about. But, like, some of the stuff that he talked about to the journalist, um, there there were probably hundreds well, and in those the the tapes that we watched, the recordings, um, the way they finally got him to talk because he wouldn't was to have him talk in the third person. So when you hear him talking, he says, "You know, a person like this would do this." Yeah, so a it was a person all, like this would do that. It was very cal- it was very calculated in that he wouldn't actually admit to it during these interviews. Um, and they played the, the audio of the tapes, and you could hear the shift, and and they they actually played the the tape where the shift happened and where he knew that Bundy was going to start actually admitting stuff, but not admitting it. And he said, and that's what he said. He said, he started talking in the third person and he had posed a question, something like, well, what do you think? Like, cause, cause Bundy never wanted to talk about it as himself having done these things. He, he, he was always, you know, portraying innocence through these court proceedings and stuff that he had. Um, and he said, well, I think a person that would do this would be like, and the, the, the journalist that had all this exclusive access to him during this time said, and he just picked up the tape recorder and started talking into it. He wasn't even talking yeah, to me he anymore. he like took it and like started holding on to it himself. And, and, and then that's when he started, you know, t- there were, there were points where he would say, you know, a person like this probably would have started younger and uh, this kind of person would have had probably hundreds of victims across many states, like basically saying more or less that he probably doesn't re- remember exactly how many he had. Yeah, he he even actually said that, like after a while, I just I couldn't I couldn't even keep them straight because they were trying to get him uh, in one of the interviews, which it probably was played on that one. They brought out maps and he was talking about like, well, I think I remember going this way. And he's and he was just like, I just I don't remember. Like, they're just well, and he too he, many. he had he severed heads of his victims. And it wasn't until the very end that he admitted to the necrophilia, like the the, you know, sodomy of the corpses after after death and revisiting those corpses weeks, months or, later after animals had gotten to them or keeping them in his room until they started to decompose. Yeah, like I mean, just really twisted, fucked up shit. Um, I the, getting into the mind—that's why the the tapes were really kind of interesting—is you kind of started to get into the mindset of him, because there was there was the dramatization stuff that's part of the, the documentary thing, but they played a lot of the audio that were straight up f- from those journalist recordings, and they played a lot of audio from the recordings from the psychologist in Utah, um, who Bree actually got to see a panel with um, at uh, one of the comic conventions. Uh, locally. So but let's go back to Vermont real quick. Not Vermont, um, Washington State. So a bunch of murders happen uh, in a small time frame up there. Um, a bunch of girls start disappearing. From January of 74 to July of 74. And then and then there's this uh, with the summer camp, Somerset or whatever the hell that's, Mount, Sam- Mount it's something. Sammamish. Yeah, Mount Lake, Sammamish, Lake, Lake Sammamish. Sammamish State Park. Yeah, and there's like there's a series of kidnappings and like some like abductions, disappearances um, that they're real close to each other, and they're like they have Same to be day. related. They're like four hours apart. Yeah, they have to be related, right? And during this time, like they they because they this is you got to remember this is in the seventies, even still today. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Even today, police 
forces in Murray and Salt Lake don't share information. Well, they reminded us in the the recordings there were still no faxes that we were still using rotary telephones in many places. So, like no paper paper files. Yeah, getting information to even just like like he was just saying for here in Utah, even just getting information to a, a neighboring city was not easy. And even today they don't do it well and we have all this technology to make it easy. So you can imagine back then. So, you know, Someone ending up missing in Seattle doesn't get tied to someone missing in in this 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 lake, the state park, uh, and someone missing even twenty miles away in another town near Seattle. Like they don't get tied together quickly. Um, so after a while, someone started tying them together. And interestingly enough, the the movie that that Zac Efron's in, that woman, the Clopef or whatever her however you say her name. So, I just yeah, just call her Elizabeth. She, she was Buddy's longtime girlfriend. She actually called the authorities and was like, "I'm concerned about my boyfriend. He's got this. He puts on this nice face, but there's some darkness to him. You need to look into him." She called on eight eight of nineteen seventy four to tell them that she that she suspected him that she'd found like underwear that he fit this profile because when he abducted the women from Lake Sammamish. Um, it it was in broad daylight, which was common, but there were a ton of people around and people that re- remembered seeing these ladies oh, yeah, remembered right. hearing him say, hi, I'm Ted. Um, remembered seeing him buy his tan Volkswagen car. So they get, so then they get this girl that calls in and she's like, my boyfriend, whose name is Ted <laughs> has this kind of car and he has no alibis. Like and I find these weird this. things. And they, they actually find some stuff, but they can't really tie him to it. And they, they had a sketch. And then when they got his picture, they actually showed it to some of the witnesses. And seven out of eight of the people said, no, that's not him. Yeah, that's so not she him. made this call after he had already moved to Utah? Uh, yeah. So it was like at the end of the summer when the abductions. And my guess is. Right after the Lake Sammamish abductions in July, when he moved to Utah, she was like, wait, what? My guess is his moving to Utah probably had a had well, his, something to do with that. Yeah, and his the interviews that I was listening to, uh, I tried to go pull some like old ones since they're so much new. Uh, they said that he did actually move to Utah because people did start to recognize him. Yeah, like and 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 this is one of the things that comes up as you get further in his life, he was really good at changing his appearance. He was, he was like masterful at, at changing the part in his hair, like changing how he looked. And so there's a good chance that like he changed his appearance and then they did the sketch and they show the picture and people are like, yeah, that's not the guy I saw because he changed his appearance pretty dramatically over the course of, I mean, in, in, in later in life, he did it in a day or it were in an afternoon, like walking into a police lineup. He does it in Utah. Like, so he was really good at that stuff, and I think he got better as he as he went on in life. Um, so, but he moves to Utah probably because of the pressure is there, and and it's time to to change scenery. So he goes from the mountains in Washington to the mountains in Utah, and he moves to Salt Lake, basically to the Salt Lake area. Well, the avenues to be specific. Yeah, five sixty five First Avenue to be. Thanks. Exact. Uh, don't go fucking bother the people that live there because they still, <laughs> there are people that still live there. It's still a house turned into apartments. Don't go fucking bother them. People have been leave doing them that. alone. They're humans. They live in a house of a fucking serial killer. It's okay. 
they know it. They probably they're like, not. Pro- they're probably not serial killers. To be clear, they probably have fucking ghosts in there because he kept heads and shit in his fridge. So. Well, all that Jeffrey Dahmer stuff. I don't think he ate them, though. I don't think no, he ever admitted he to not. any kind of can. He probably skull fucked them. Like he was a necrophiliac. He probably did things to the heads inside the fridge. I can imagine. Well, that was another thing. So when he started doing all of this, the term serial killer that wasn't even wasn't a even thing. a term. Even though it had happened, like Jack the Ripper was a thing, but even well, Ed Gain was before him. Yeah, but no one really like. No one had made those connections yet, and like, like no one had really like profiled what kind of an individual does this over a long period of time, and like, actually, like, it's just part of their being to do this. Well, and you mentioned profiling, and he was one of the people that they interviewed, that the FBI interviewed as they set up their profiling department or whatever they call it, and um, and he actually did some profiling for them. Like they would take cases to him and ask him. To you know, if if you were doing this crime, you know, how was, would you get away with that? How would you plan it? He was a really smart guy by all accounts. So he comes to Utah. Well, he studies law. He comes to the Utah to well, study he, law. Well, he he comes to Utah and gets accepted to the University of Utah to study law. And he goes. That through, building is not there anymore. No, that building's not there anymore. But it was cool to see the footage though of the of the university. Oh yeah, campus. as we're as we're watching it, and, and like, it's that's the that, old that's footage that, from the seventies. I'm like, up oh, Marriott Library still there. Oh, there's the old dorms. Like you could see stuff from from the campus that's still recognizable, or that was torn down because it's old. Um, but uh, it's he comes to study law, and the U does have a really good law program still. They have a great law school at the U. Um, but he comes to study law. And, um, again, like starts killing and it's crazy. Like if you start looking at these timelines, so he starts killing in like June of 74, like roughly like, and then he has a spree. Like there's how many people died in January of 74 in Washington and then October of 74 here. Yeah, but in Jan, from January till when he moved, how many people did he, I forgot. Yeah, like it was a lot. Like there it's was, there's eight. Yeah, that like we know one of. a month. Like one a month so that we know. There was of. there was six plus the two that got away. Well, there were nine in Washington, Oregon, and then yeah. So basically, <laughs> no, no. But I, I'm thinking like so. There's there's basically like one a month in Washington is how how fast he's taking these people. So then he comes to Utah, and I'm just I'm gonna read off the victims and and the the months um, that they were abducted. So you had Nancy Wilcox. October of 74. Melissa Smith, October of 74. Uh, Lori Amy, October of 74. Debbie Kent, November of 74. Uh, I'm going to count Carol De- DeRanch. Um, we'll talk about her also November of 74. Same day, actually. Um, and then you have some others uh, in June and July of 75. And uh, in 76, they have Nancy Baird. There's a January uh, of Susan 75. Curtis in June of, of 75. And then Debbie Smith in February of 76. Because he came back to Utah. After he left, he came back. So he moved to Colorado for a time, and he came back and did some more of this. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about So he kind of went back and forth. He, he did that a little bit in Washington. He went to Oregon once, I think. And then went back to Washington, and while he was in Utah, he... He went to Grand Junction. Yeah, and he went to Colorado Aspen. and Idaho a couple of times, so... So a lot of the Intermountain region, he terrorized while he was living here. So I read off all those victims, and we'll, we'll come back to each of them. One of the things that was interesting in the, the, the Ted Bundy tapes is um, they kept putting up... Uh, and as the victim list grew, they would add to this wall of pictures, this fake wall of pictures that they created. And if you look at all the pictures of these women, they were all very similar looking. 
So my aunt was just out of high school when so all she of this was, happened. She was maybe on the top end of his his age scale. Was she, yeah, no. She did she was, fit the profile? Um, yes, she would have. Well, she had glasses though. Uh, my mom probably would have fit the profile more, but she was. So, Too young. Well, not really, because he did kill a 15-year-old in Utah. So. Nancy Wilcox was 16. Melissa Smith was 17. He's killed some 12-year-old. So the 15-year-old actually rode her bike from Bountiful to Provo oh, for a youth Curtis. conference. Yeah. Yeah. And she was she was 15. Uh, so Lori Amy was 17. Debbie Kent was 17. Carol DeRanche was newly 18. Nancy Baird was 23, which is a little weird. That's pretty far out of his age range. Yeah, no, because he, he, he got somebody who was 26 in Colorado. But, so I think... It, it, it just it, they just had to look right. I don't think that the, their actual age mattered. Well, I think they just had to look right. And clearly, like the the circumstance in which he abducted them was was specific as well. It sounded like so. So he abducts these women. They they end up disappearing. Um, which one was it? Melissa Smith? Uh, the second abduction in Utah. Um, she was actually the police chief's daughter, the Midvale police chief's daughter. I thought it was Park City. Oh yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, Smith she was a Midvale police chief. It was yeah. police chief's daughter. She was found in Summit County up, yeah. up by Park, Park City, City. In, in seven, in, like nine days later. Um, that was a big deal. The police chief's daughter gets kidnapped and is found dead and beaten and raped nine days later. So I went down a rabbit hole today because I didn't want to. I didn't watch the Netflix. I didn't watch anything else. But I found a gentleman by the name of Chris Mortensen, who his YouTube channel is called Captain Borax True Crimes Tours. And he has spent the last few years going to all of these places and interviewing like people from his ward and uh, different people along the way. The guy that shared the same apart, like the same apartment building with him. And he went, uh, he drove down the road that the old pizza it was called the pepperoni mm -hmm. uh, was on and uh, I guess there's a barbecue place over there now that's supposed to be really good but um, during that he was showing like the news clippings and she walked around the corner and she was gone she left a friend and that was it yeah well and she was actually she had gone to console a friend before going to stay the night at other friends houses and and never made it home to like get her clothes for the for the sleepover thing um so, I mean, this, this guy was not, like, these were quick. Like, it was clearly accelerating in the state of Utah. And part of why we want to talk about him is not just because of the extensive work he did in Utah uh, in terms of killing people, um, but things that happened in Utah. He became Mormon. Like that was a that was a thing. Yeah. He he was an active member of the Mormon Church. He was baptized. He was beloved by his congregation. Like so, as the sixth ward, and that's actually how I got into this rabbit hole. Because Chris, sixth ward of what though? Because there's it's like a up in I was up in the avenues. Um, so Chris did a series that I ended up watching. It's a three part series. Uh, and it was called Ted Bundy and the LDS Church. And each is probably about like 20 or 30 minutes ish. And he talked about going to ice cream socials and how he was actually, um, how they found him and how they started converting him. And he went through six of the, um, yeah, home teaching, six of the discussions. Yeah. yeah. Before he was baptized. Um, he was baptized in the white church that's on Sunnyside Avenue. That's the church that he was baptized in. Right. Well, by Hogo Zoo. So this is, this is the thing that's, that's interesting for me is, as I don't know if 
if there was a real thought to that church being real to him. I, I get the impression that he was like he was definitely a con man of sorts, but I also get the impression that there was a there was a break from reality for him and that there were perhaps two different people because when they interview his various girlfriends over the years, they talk about how sweet and charming and how different he is and then they're they're genuinely shocked some of them that his that he's accused of these crimes, that he admitted to these crimes, because he's just not that way around them. Well, his branch president said that when he was arrested, that he was the first one to go in defense of him and said there's no way that he could do something like this. Well, that was actually a thing during his trial in Utah, and we'll get to that, but his congregation, like, protested the trial. Like, there's no way that he could have done these things. Like They showed up in support of him in the in the in courtroom. The courtroom and, yeah, I, that was... I don't know if they did this in the tapes, but he said that one of the guys that they talked to, and I don't remember if this was at a birthday party um, or if it was just in a meeting, but Ted basically was like, so this is like what I, he said, you know, I know, I know how somebody could do this. Like you talked about that. And he explained it like to a T. Well, you don't have people talking to each other in county so you pick her up here you drop her clothes here you drop an arm there you drop an arm there and he explained it to one of his congregation members like to a t yeah like this is how you get away with it because and like you cross state lines and no one knows they don't put stuff together because state agencies definitely not even don't talk. states he was talking like well yeah like cities. county and city lines because they don't talk yeah like that was that was something that was a little different with the midvale thing but even they were talking about with with the midvale police officers or the police chief's daughter they even jurisdictionally they didn't talk very much, uh, even with with his daughter. Well, he talked uh, or he worked for the Seattle Crime Commission for almost a year, and and learned a lot of how investigations work. So I mean, he know he knew how to play the game. Well, and I, uh, yeah, yeah, Bundy did. Yeah, that's right. And he was a fabulous cook, by the way. If you're wondering, apparently. So, but part of me wonders, like, because the the way the Mormon faith is, the the LDS Church faith, and 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 the way heaven works, and and what you essentially aspire to, is that is that a real thought in in his mind that he's playing towards that, or is that a, a ruse, or does some part of him genuinely believe that, and there's another part of him that's this dark killer that he doesn't really. Some of the interview stuff I was reading said that there was. Some people felt there was a very small part of him that craved normalcy and really, truly wanted to live a normal life, but just wasn't capable. But that was his attempt to be normal. Well, one one good thing about, we've talked about this before, one good thing about the LDS Church is how, if you're a member and you're, and you're participating, how welcoming they are of you. And we, we went through how he... He actually grew up as an outcast as, as a child, even though he tried to make it sound like he had this great childhood. And I feel like stumbling upon the LDS church and people who asked him to be a part of it and wanted him to be a part of it and where he would go and he was a, a beloved member of the community, probably without a whole lot of having to act like he was super smart or anything like that. They just kind of they just kind of him. accepted him. You probably Maybe. have a point to that where, wow, this community accepts me. I I just have to make sure that I kind of keep it separate. Well, and, and maybe part of that was being the social chameleon, right? So in the state of Utah, now maybe not so much in the Wasatch Front, but for sure in the 70s, if you weren't LDS, 
you were an outcast. You were on the outside. And and if you in the 70s are not LDS and you're sitting on the outside, you're a lot more of a pariah. You're a lot more of a people look at you as a bad person to begin with. So if you're part of that part of that movement, part of that community, part of that flock, you're now just socially shaded like no one thinks bad about you. Whereas had he not been a Mormon, like his neighbors maybe that are in his ward, that I'm doing air quotes for people that can't <laughs> see, um, that were part of his ward, maybe maybe they don't come to his defense, even though he's still the same nice guy to them as a neighbor because he's not Mormon. They're like, oh, yeah, he totally could have done that. Or they just don't think about it. They're just like, well, we don't know him. He's he's not part of, of the, the group. Anyway, so that, that's interesting. I, I want to talk about... I want to talk about his time in Utah in re, in regards to the actual crimes and why why we talk about him because Utah was actually the place that it really him. started his big downfall because well, we caught him yeah so the first so people to actually arrest him in, in Seattle we we talked about in Washington his girlfriend had called in and said hey I think this is the guy. They can't do anything with that. There's circumstantial evidence. They can't even bring him in. He, he disappears. He goes to Utah. So he comes to Utah. He starts doing these things. So then he goes to Fashion Place Mall. And in Fashion Place Mall, he tries to kidnap... Uh, Carol, De, Carol DeRanch. Carol DeRanch. And she's still alive. Um, she did a lot of interview in the, the she's tape. She's actually super cool in the tape. She's She's gotten to where she's really comfortable with it, where she doesn't mind talking about it. Um, so basically what happens at the time, she's, she's 18, uh, and she's leaving the mall, and this guy approaches her. No, it's she a, was actually in the yeah, mall. Yeah, she's in the mall, and her. he approached her and said, hey. Do you have this car? Someone's broken into your car. I'm a police officer. Someone's broken into your car. I need you to come in and make sure everything's there. And so she goes out to her car with him. And she said and he smelled like, heavily of alcohol. Yeah, and she's like, I can see from the car nothing's missing. Like, it's fine. And he kept trying to get her closer to it, I'm sure. Like to- trying to push her into it, basically. And so... Uh, she wasn't having it. Then he tries to crack her over the head and like. No, he took her over to the substation, the little building. He, got, that's he convinced the her to oh, go right. and get into his car. That's right to to go to his squad Which, car. Which, by the way, that fabric store is still there. The laundromat isn't, but the fabric store is still so, there. So he ends up handcuffing. Oh, I know that fabric store. He ends up handcuffing one of her hands. And she fights back and she fights back effectively enough that she's able to run away uh, and he never gets the other handcuffed and she like runs screaming into a car and jumps in the car and just makes them drive off. Right. So it was an older couple that happened to like yeah, come down the street. At the just just happened to be there when she was trying to get away from this guy. So she successfully gets away from him. Um, and and of course. She's she's she goes home. They reported to the police. This is There's, November of 1974, yeah, the, by the way. And, and and the same night is when Debbie Kent goes missing. November eighth. So, but she's a little kid. Well, she's seventeen. Well, but I mean, so go. I went to Beaumont High School, <laughs> and this was talked about all the time. But I never knew until today when I was watching uh, Chris's videos because he actually drives through the Midvale neighborhoods. He drives through Bountiful. He drives to their houses. He drives through uh, the canyons. He really like has done a lot of research for this, 
and he went to the side of the high school and is talking about how they like where the auto shop is, which is where the auto shop was, and how they found her key. Her car was still there, well, but like the cuff it was, keys. It was like post a play, right? So there was a play, and he was acting as an usher. They don't know if it was for like a um, what do they call it? Uh, but I was there. Uh, like an alibi? An alibi, yeah. Um, and so um, he actually asked help from somebody else. And she was like, no. She went back into the play. Um, and it was interesting talking, listening to Chris talk because um, Debbie was supposed to go pick up her brother at the roller mm-hmm. skating rink in yeah. South Bountiful. I used to go to that roller skating rink and, all the time. And, and, and never, <laughs> and never And it got doesn't there. exist anymore. Yeah. And so she she never got there. Um only her kneecap was ever found, and her mom has it at her house. So, well, and the the handcuff key fit the handcuffs that um, Carol. Yeah, well, and that was just it. They found that was that was when they were able to link him to her disappearance, is because there was a handcuff, the handcuff key, the the, the match the handcuffs that she had. It's actually and, something Carol mentions that she feels kind of guilty for, uh, not totally like bad because obviously she needed to get away, but she's like, it, I feel awful that four hours later, like he just went and abducted somebody else in my place. Yeah, well, and so. Here, here's the thing. Here's what, here's what happens following that. So, uh, so they get his description from her. She gets a really good sketch uh, done with a sketch artist. Um, they start. Well, she spent significant time. Like he really put some effort into being around her. And and there's 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 you know his car is a is a Volkswagen Bug. It is the same car that he's been driving for a while. And you know there's a million of them at this time in the seventies. Like that's one of the most popular cars on the road. So they they narrowed it down in Washington. Went and he was on one of those lists. Yeah, from forty two thousand to a hundred. Volkswagen bugs, like 42,000 in Seattle. <laughs> like that's like they, they were like, you know how many there were in 1974? 42,000 in Seattle alone. Like that's how popular this car was. So how do you narrow that list when there's no computers, no electronic database? Like it's, it's near impossible. So anyway, so they, they put out stuff. And so basically he gets pulled over <laughs> for a traffic violation and recognize him and they pull him into a lineup and apparently they, the day they pull him into a lineup they basically have to have a bunch of cops be in the lineup with them because they can't pull other people in so he like changes his hair they talked about like he, he changes his hair part he's clean shaven for the lineup like he's made a visible attempt to alter his appearance and the way you hear Carol talk about it when she was interviewed is she's like I knew right away it was him like he had clearly tried to change, but I don't, you can't forget that face. Like it was, it was a terrifying thing for me. So at that point they arrest him um, and, and charge him with the kidnapping, the attempt, attempted kidnapping. Um, and they put him on trial on February 23rd, 1976. So he's on trial in the state of Utah. And at this point um, he, this is when the real shenanigans begin because he's he's charming as fuck. He's on TV interviews. He's the, the dude. The dude is super charming. He's on TV interviews. He's like, I'm a law student. I'm I'm in good standing. You've got his his bishop from his ward saying he's a really good dude. All these, the members, all of the, the members are like, there's no way he did this. It can't. There's be There's girls that are like following him like, and say like Carol's a liar. Yeah, and they're they're calling Carol a liar on 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 the stand. They're saying she. There's no way she could recognize him like she's wrong. So long story short, he gets convicted of kidnapping. 
and he uh, kidnapping and assault. Like it's it's not just kidnapping; it was assault as well. And and he gets one to fifteen years. Well, part of this sentencing process is they are deciding if he's just. This is what's fucking insane to me: if he's just going to get probation or if he has to go to prison. Like that's the difference. And part of this process is they have him talk to a court psychologist. That's the Ed Carlisle guy that uh, I saw at at the comic convention and he was amazing. Like he played, he actually played his tapes because Ted called him when he escaped from prison and was well, like, Ted called him all the time. What do you think of what I did? Um, he's like, he hated me, but he almost wanted like advice. Like I was his father. As much as he like didn't there was like some, me. There was Maybe. some level yeah. of respect for the guy. And the reason he didn't like him is because of the final report. So, but he's, he's like, he's going through with Bundy with these interviews and he's like, you can tell that he's saying what he thinks he's supposed to say. Um, and, and all I'm trying to determine is if he is going to be a danger if he's on par- probation. Yeah. Ed Carlisle said, I knew, I, he said, I had his number from the minute I started interviewing. I knew this 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 guy has got to be somebody that this is something that I heard that, that he's talked about at Comic Con, um, but that he said I knew there was something wrong that this wasn't just your normal everyday run of the mill criminal that I had interviewed because he he was the psychologist for the Utah State Prison, so he he interviewed lots of prisoners he inter- he he wasn't just a regular you know oh you know my daughter has a d- eating disorder send her to the psychologist no he he specialized in criminology and he's like i could just tell there i i needed to find a way to make this this person not not be on the streets anymore well and this is so his final report basically says yeah he's he he presents a danger like there he should not be allowed on the streets he presents a danger and needs to be in prison so he gets sentenced to prison this is what's crazy to me so in the span of we're talking two months october through november of 74 he has kidnapped and murdered or attempted uh, to kidnap and murder one two three four five uh five women Right. They're not necessarily all tied together. They don't know. They have suspicions. They certainly suspicious, you know, obviously suspect him of uh, of the Debbie Kent disappearance, but they can't actually prove it. And there's no body. And the only evidence against him is the, the keys, you know, super circumstantial stuff and no body. So the state of Utah prosecutes him for the kidnapping of Durant, but doesn't really go after him for anything else. So around this same time, there's there's now conversation with Seattle, and I don't remember exactly how that happens. Uh, well, and Colorado, because yeah. it goes to Colorado, and, and and conversation with Colorado, and Colorado is like, we like him for these murders. They're like, aha, uh-huh. like we believe based on the evidence you have for her, because when they caught him for this is the crazy thing when they caught him, when they caught him for Carol DeRanch, like they get to his bug, the cop pulls him over, he's missing a passenger seat and he sees shit in the car that it's like fucking ski mask and handcuffs rope and, and handcuffs and like crowbar, like clearly this dude's not out for good like there's pictures of i don't know if they're in any of these things that we printed out but there's pictures of what they what they what they had grabbed as evidence so they had a ton of evidence for the Durant thing um but uh so clearly this dude is like in a bad place so colorado picks up on this and basically utah decides you know what 
Colorado's got a really good chance of convicting him on murder. Murder is a bigger charge than kidnapping. We're going to extradite him to Colorado. Now, that's a big mistake. Well, that's a big deal, though. For, for a state to extradite any criminal is a fairly big deal because basically you're saying... Uh, In yeah, your state, he's going to get a much worse sentence. Yeah, well, and that's kind of what it was. Like, we expect... We can't tie him to these others even though we suspect him of it. But if you have a strong enough case that you can get a conviction, we'll ship him there because then he'll he'll serve time for murder in your state and not ours. And this, again, this is in the 70s. There's not a lot of, like, the FBI is a brand new organization. It hasn't existed for very long, and they're just starting to define some of their rules uh, and not involved, not involved, even though... Today, anything that crosses state lines, they automatically take jurisdiction. It becomes federal crimes when they start crossing state lines. Back then, that wasn't the case. So uh, so we extradite him to, to Colorado. He goes to Colorado. And he wasn't shackled, chained, or handcuffed and jumped out a second story window. It, well, so this is, this is, this is the <laughs> insane stuff, right? So he, again, I'm going to be my own attorney. Right. So because I'm my own attorney, I need access to legal libraries and law books and makes sense. I mean, it's insane to be your own attorney, but we're not dealing with the same person here. And he was this hotshot law student. And um, it's funny because the 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 judge in the Florida case actually made the comment to him that, um, you know, it sucks that you're the person that you are, because I think you would have made a really good attorney. (laughs) <laughs> like you're smart and and you're good at, at at arguments, but you're a bad person, and so that sucks that you wa- you're a waste of humanity as a result. I think is what he said. So he's in Colorado. He's he's on trial for murder. On trial for murder again. On trial for murder. That's what's that's what's <laughs> something important to remember here. Not petty theft. <laughs> no. And so and he's decided that he's tired of being locked up. So they're at they're at the courtroom again. They're on a second story window, and this is in the seventies. No one imagines someone's going to jump out of a second story window. He's there with his attorneys. Uh, they have guards outside the door. No shackles, no handcuffs. He's given free reign in this conference room to kind of study stuff. The attorney's like, "I'm going to step out." He's like, "Fine, I'm going to continue to to look through this stuff." And then you know later they go back in and they're like, "Where's?" Where's hey, Bundy? where'd Ted go? So he had jumped out the window, and, <laughs> and they talk about he had practiced. He was in his jail cell in Colorado, because this was like, this is like old-timey jail cell in this county jail in, in Grand Junction County or whatever it is in, in Colorado. He's on top of his bunk, jumping down from the, the top bunk to strengthen his knees for the two-story drop. To learn how to, you know... And nobody thinks anything of that. This is totally premeditated. There was something else that he had done in preparation for it as well. Oh, running. He said he had figured out the distance from the, 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 the bottom of the courthouse to this thing, to the mountain, and he had ran back and forth in his cell in preparation to get him ready to run that entire distance. So he had been practicing to escape while he's, while he's serving this time. And Gee, I wonder why Ted's jumping and running so much. So he <laughs> jumps out of the window. Well, there's no cameras in the cells. It's I like, know, but I'm sure that they walked past them. It's the, like, you saw the pictures of the place. It's like the basement of a police station, basically, with, like, four cells with bars and bunk beds. Like, it's not, it's not like what we have over on 39th and as a county prison. Like, that's just not what it was. It's this little tiny county. It'd be like if you got locked up in, like, fucking Juab County or something, right? <laughs> There's no one there. So, so he jumps out, he escapes, he's gone. Like they didn't, just, no one can find him. He's just gone. And everyone's like, what the hell? 
<laughs> like, how does this happen? And then it was like a week later, he shows back up. He'd lost 25 pounds and he showed back up and he turned himself in and he's just like, uh, I got tired of living I'm on my co- own. I'm cold. I'm, cold. I'm, I'm hungry. Yeah. Like basically, <laughs> uh, I was in a cabin somewhere up in the mountains and I'm back now. So you can lock me back up. So then they're like, okay, now he's, he's going to be locked up. They did special stuff on his door. Like now you're shackled. Anytime you go into the law library, like we're not fucking around. So it gets closer and closer to his conviction in Colorado. Like it's, it's almost a sure thing. He's going to be convicted. And, uh, he escapes again. This time he <laughs> basically, there's a light in the cell and he has cut the light. And because he had lost so much weight, he had like, fit into this hole and crawled through like the, the roof crawl space and broke out of jail overnight. Well, cause like there was an, ap- well, there was an apartment above him for the jailers or something. Yeah. And so up in the apartment were also closed. So he just put them on and walked out the door. Yeah. And so, and that's it. Like then he's just gone. No one can find him. He's gone, gone. He's in the wind. It's not a run into the mountains. Like he doesn't reappear until Florida. Uh, and so he's just vanished from, from sight. And people are like, how the fuck did Ted Bundy get away at this point? Because he's escaped twice. The FBI get involved trying to find him. And it's this, at this point, it's this national manhunt across the country. Like he's number one on the FBI's most wanted list. He's now, now they have started to connect the dots and tie him to murders in, in the Washington area, in Utah, in Colorado. They're like, this guy's a, this guy's a serious risk. Well, when he escaped Colorado, he took a train from Aspen to Denver, then a flight from Chicago, a train then to a train to Ann Arbor, then he drove to Atlanta and took a bus to Tallahassee. Like you couldn't do any of those things these days with all of the ID and the the Well you'd use your credit card once and that'd be the end of that. Yeah, yeah. well unless no credit card, he was just stealing well, he money. He was stealing when stealing they, credit cards. When they found him in Florida, he had twenty one stolen credit cards. Oh, and he changed his name several times. He was going to the drive through with those, wasn't he? Yeah, probably. <laughs> like pick, pick a, a card, card, any card. They're all different names. <laughs> Get lucky, motherfucker. Is this you, Mr. Jones? Yes. Yep. Yes, yes it, it is. is. So and then he when he was in Florida. So there was a, a little girl that was murdered in, in like... She was the last. Yeah. First he went to the college. And I thought the little girl she, was actually first, no, and then he went to the she college. Was last. She was last. She was so last he, goes, he goes to a sorority house, uh, and... Chai Omega? So if you want a really good... Uh, the, the gal that he beat, um, also a survivor, uh, did a really amazing article in Rolling Stone recently. Um, very detailed. Uh, it it's I'll post the link to it when we do the recap, but uh, continue. So he gets he basically what happens is he breaks into a sorority house overnight, beats, murders, rapes two women, kills them and then attempts it on two more uh, and ends up having to like abscond and leave. It was actually lights shining into the dorm room. Yeah. That like, scared him off. But she was beat. I mean, she was. Yeah, she was almost beaten. dead. Yeah. She, she was at the she, level. He like broke her jaw. She's had to have like several surgeries. And so he, he manages to escape from that. And then he flees and ends up killing this little girl. Like, what no, she was, he went to uh, an apartment complex, like eight blocks away or something. And he, uh, Cheryl Thomas, he attacked her. She was, but she survived. She was also a survivor. This, this was like this was like major psychotic break for him. I think at this point, and then at well, he hadn't been able to kill for several years. He'd at, been kind of locked up and well, 
We don't know. We don't know. Like, we don't know how many people he killed in Colorado the first time, how many he killed between Along Colorado and Michigan. And that's that's the question. And that's why people think there's a lot more victims, because he went from Colorado to Florida and he was missing for like two years. Well, he even went missing here in Utah for like a year. His yeah. congregation was like, we didn't see him for. And people think like in that time he was missing here, he was killing people in Colorado and Idaho and, and neighboring states and maybe going back to Washington like. He got around. He knew how to travel. Um, Maybe he went to Wyoming. It's so spread out there. Nobody would notice. Probably not. I mean, even the parents wouldn't notice when their kids were missing there. Um, Your mom wouldn't have noticed. <laughs> nope. Uh, but, but, so he, then he murders this little girl. Um, and they end up catching him in Florida. And at this point, by this point, like I said, FBI knows. Seattle's tied him to stuff up in Washington. Colorado wants him. And Florida's like, nope, fuck you. We're not letting him go. We have eyewitness accounts. We have evidence. He we have, bit them. Yeah, he bit them. So this is the crazy thing. So there were bite marks on these bodies. And uh, the 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 sheriff of of the the area at the time was like, this is like the this is it. This is the golden ticket to convicting whoever we catch. And so he actually, you know, has Ted do bite plates and there's a there's a cool story in the ted bundy tapes so i won't retell it about how he gets him to do it and when when ted finally realizes like he's fucked basically he just he just sits in the chair and is like all right fine make them old and the, the best thing about this is like they actually convict him and a big part of that conviction is with the bite mark evidence which is total bullshit and hard to hold up in court like nowadays it's not accepted at all in court like bite plates from from post-mortem bite bruising uh with against you know, like it's there, but no one, you can't really submit it as valid science. Um, there's a lot of debate on that. But back then, everyone was like, yep, that's totally it. And some of it was they just wanted the conviction and they knew who the, this guy was fucked. Uh, and so that's, and the whole trial in Florida, like you should really watch the Ted Bundy tapes if you want to get into that. I'm, I'm not going to, but he acts as his lawyer. And, well, and he, he tries to claim he's somebody else for a while and then yeah, he's, he's, uses that as leverage to call Elizabeth. And, every, and, and everyone knows who he is. He proposes to his wife that he marries while yep. in prison and has a kid with. Like there's, there's this whole thing that happens in Florida. But so they get him for that one. Carol Ann Boone. They get him for that one. And then the, the child slaying, which is in a different county in Florida, after they convict him for the first one and sentence him to death, uh, they prosecute him for the other one. And the guy they they interview when they were interviewing the the DA for the other one, he said, "Why wouldn't I send him to that county?" He said, "One death sentence is uh, enough to potentially overturn, but no one's going to try to overturn two. He said, "So why why wouldn't I?" And and basically at that point, Florida keeps him for the remainder of his his prison sentence. He goes through appeals processes and and everything else, and that's where we get a lot of the information. Is that time in Florida is when he did some of these long form interviews with these journalists. This is where he did that third person interview. Well, and the the Utah District Attorney's Office actually went down mm -hmm. and, yeah. and uh, interviewed with him, and you can find those. I believe it was. Uh, KTVX that had those clips. Uh huh. Yeah, and they, and they got and basically because they're trying to solve all these cases, um, so he lives out his life in Florida State Prison. And they like when they caught him in Florida because of his escapes, they had the the jail lock, this like crazy padlock, and some other lock on his cell, so he could not yeah, break they had out. Three different locks. And he like there were times where he would complain about his cell conditions and the judge in the case like went into the cell and he's like, well, it is dim lighting, but you're not getting out of the cell like <laughs> you're still going to use it. Like 
stop fucking around with my court. Like the judge was pretty crazy in that case. Um, but anyway, that's, I don't want to spend a lot of time there. I, I do want to talk about a couple of things. I, I think that this, this made me think about. So the first is the death penalty. I've gone on a tirade about the death penalty before. Um, and I'm curious from, from your guys's perspective, like this is a truly heinous man. He can, he, 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 uh, can, what the, what the fuck's the word I'm looking for? He confessed to like 30 some odd murders, right? And and help people find some of their bodies. Um, that kind of person that clearly was uncontrollable uh, in terms of killing. Well, and he had escaped a couple of times, so... And, and presumably there were many, many more murders. Like that, everyone really thinks that there was just more that people don't know about. They think he may have even him. murdered men along the way, you know, just anyone that got in his way, essentially. Yeah. So from from you guys, I'm curious, you know, what do you think about the death penalty in a case like that? Because he was put to death via, via the electric chair. Yes. That's it? Just yes? Yes. What about you, Jeremy? That's a hard one, but in this case, yeah, I think it was just there's no There's no question. Like, when there is absolutely no question, and you have somebody that's murdering potentially hundreds of people... They should just beat him over with a crowbar like you did to the women. An eye for an eye. What about you, Bree? No, still anti-death penalty. After Cassie did all that stuff in high school and came and talked to us about it, I... I, I still struggle. It, it definitely gives me pause for thought. That's the kind of instance where I think that, that sort of scenario where he's clearly... Part Deranged. of all these, all these other things, like this is just the, this is just the place where they were able to catch him and convict him and, you know, convincingly convict him. It does, it does bring pause to whether or not the death penalty should be instituted in those cases. And my personal opinion is still no, like I would rather see him spend the rest of his life in a maximum security prison, um, even in solitary confinement, if that's what needs to happen, M- mostly because I just, I don't believe that killing someone, I don't think that's a deterrent. He wouldn't, the, the whole, the whole point behind the death penalty is it will deter people from doing the most. Yeah, it's things. not meant to be a, a punishment. I mean, the whole, the whole thing behind our jail system, it, it, it's supposed to be a, a, a chance for rehabilitation or to deter people from doing that. It's clearly not doing that. We still have tons of serial killers and, and he is the worst of humanity but the death penalty the threat of the death penalty didn't stop him from doing the things that he did i don't think it would have i don't think any in any world that would have stopped him he got away he had the opportunity to live a different life as someone else presumably for the rest of his life he probably could have gotten away with it but he didn't he, well the zodiac killer there's an example of someone who well look at the look at look at the btk killer Right, similar situation. By Golden the way, Golden State Killer actually the is a really good one too. BTK Killer got away with it for years, uh, then decided to publish a manifesto like twenty years later, and they fucking figured out who he was. Some fucking church going dude in like Oklahoma, but he would have gotten away with it. Golden State was the cop. Yeah, like like these these people. I don't. It, there's a compulsion there, and obviously there. The death penalty does not stop them. I don't think so. That's my my big thing. Even thinking about like these these are the worst of humanity i still to me i don't i value life more than that i don't think they're going to be changed 
Not at all. Uh, I don't think they'll ever be functioning members of society, but at the same time, I don't like the message that, that killing them sends. And seeing, like, the parties that they fucking had at Tan's, Ted Bundy's execution Does the way. was sickening to me. Well, you know, burn Bundy, burn T-shirt, people wearing T-shirts. Well, they talked about it like it was college kids that were going to this college that Drinking. were, like, in fucking diapers when the crimes <laughs> happened that he was being executed for. Like, they didn't know who he was. They didn't know the people that he heard or it, 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 it's reminiscent of sticking somebody in the town square and hanging them and everyone cheering or the stocks but and I, throwing things at them. I totally get it. I can totally see where people are like, that's what the death penalty is for. Having kids, especially having daughters that age, I think to myself, what if it was one of my daughters? Would I, I don't be, think would they I fit be the okay profile, with... so you're probably good. Yeah, they're too blonde. <laughs> True but for no, this but, case, but, but seriously, yeah. but yeah. if it was one of your daughters, how would you feel about the death penalty? You'd uh, still so, be okay, yeah. Because I, like I said, it's Cassidy that that was the one that had this project at school and and brought it home to me and and talked to me about it and and went through it with me. Um, and I think about like if you particularly use my daughters as an example, neither one of them believe in the death penalty. And so for me to say, well, I want somebody to die for killing you. I think that they would be like, uh, we don't believe in that. Like I would, wherever I ended up afterwards, if I got to talk to them, they'd be like, why did, why were you for that? We, we, we had talks, mom, you know, we talked to you about this. We told you we didn't believe in that. So, just coming from there, more fresh, uh, uh, and we've talked about this before too, accepting point of view of, of people, um, especially somebody who is clearly mentally disturbed. Um, I, I, I don't know. Like, well, that's the other thing is, is, was, was he, is a person that's at that level, do we consider them mentally ill? Or do we consider, because do we consider sociopaths mentally ill people? The hard part with someone like Bundy is he's so intelligent that it's hard to say. Well, but intelligence and, and mental illness has nothing to do with it. You can be you can suicidal be and, and very smart. And that's, and being suicidal is a mental illness. So, but the question is, 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 is exhibiting those behaviors. I mean, sometimes for sure it's absolutely a mental illness. But in the case of Ted Bundy, is that a mental illness? I really think it was. We talked about the psychologist earlier noticing, you know, a significant change in in his personality. You can hear it in his voice. They talked about him being bipolar, manic, depressive. You almost wonder if there wasn't any kind of a DID thing involved where he wasn't always in control of himself. It was interesting in hearing the actual audio on those tapes. Like there were there were clear breaks in in I would say character but like maybe it is something maybe it is something along the lines of a, DI, a DID situation um, you know where they have multiple personalities or, or total dissociative identities where you know in, in the one light he's he's talking in one manner and you do hear a very distinct shift when he starts talking in this other manner and talking in sort of the third person like you, you hear a distinctive shift in how he interacts with, with the people around him I don't know. It was just a question. Um, it's an interesting. It made me think a lot. Like I leaned over to Brian. I was like, you know, even with this, like, 
it, it really makes you question whether or not that that's the right thing for this person um, or this this type of person. The other thing I was curious about is, I, I mean, it was interesting to me because the Utah is the, the where we broke him. Like when Utah is where he was caught, he was convicted. Oh, Utah Highway Patrol and became really on the run. Um, one of the other things Utah was responsible for, the conviction in Utah was responsible for, was the stuff the FBI started doing. Because up until that Utah conviction, the FBI wasn't really involved. And once the conviction happened, the FBI starts to get involved in the case, starts to start pe- you know piecing stuff together. And like Bree said, like this was the beginning of the the you know. You think of criminal minds like the behavioral analysis unit, which isn't really a thing, but they do have profilers at the FBI. And that's when he's really the break for serial killers. Like, this is when that's we start. That's what I wanted to be at one time. A that's serial killer? Yes. <laughs> that Sean is studying to be a criminal that, psychologist. That's the kind of stuff. Profiler, that, yeah. actually, very specifically. That's what Sean wants to do. Um, but it, this is, this Ted Bundy is the, the basically the blueprint that has created these things and created some of the way the FBI takes stuff over because they have the ability to grab multiple agencies and grab as much data and compile it. Well, and think about what they gathered from him. We talked about um, the fact that they interviewed him as they first started profiling and that he actually profiled cases. So, you know, as we've advanced and stuff, hopefully we keep him contained. Um, I wonder how much more knowledge he could have imparted because like you said he was very intelligent um, maybe there would be more unsolved cases maybe we would have just a little bit more insight into that serial killer uh, intelligent criminal mentality uh, if if he had been around even for a few more years but if he wasn't going to be executed would we have been able to actually tie him to the other 36 well because that's what, just before we started recording that was one thing we talked about is just before he was executed that's when he confessed to most of the Utah yeah family. and he was trying to use that as a card to avoid execution so would that have ever come out or transversely would he have eventually you know over time can you know confess to all of those and even more I, I think over time he would have had to because he, if we keep him contained, he can't go out and kill. He's got to relive well, what he, he's already done. He and always, a good way to do that is to brag. He always wanted to be famous, right? He always wanted to be that. He had that persona of being this all-star and this was a way for him to do it. Like I, I suspect if he saw his, his pseudo stardom that is now in terms of the infamousness. Oh, he would love it. Yeah, he would totally be in love with it. Yeah. So, no, I mean, yes, that was the impetus to, to have him confess. But I think eventually he, he would have. I think the one I thing don't. about him that broke the mold at the time was he was intelligent. He was attractive. He was kind. So he, he was fit. charming. He was. He didn't fit. He didn't look like Charles Manson. Right. Well, yeah, he wasn't a crazy fucking psycho serial killer like he was. But that's not the mold. But when, when we start looking. The Golden State Killer, uh, BTK, like these guys were like model citizens that no one saw this weird fucking thing that was going on with them. Like it's like the but what just happened in in the girls the girls that were fucking kidnapped in like Pennsylvania or something for years oh, yeah. in the basement of that house that got out. Like, oh, yeah, he was just a quiet neighbor. No one was like, yeah, that was like he I always thought he was like this fucked up guy like. I don't know. Any other thoughts on Bundy? 
I think if you just really, yes, the Ted Bundy tapes are out. There's a lot of great documentaries that like headline news have done and stuff. But if you really want a perspective of what happened in Utah, like seriously, check out the YouTube videos that Chris Martinson has done. He has put a lot of time and a lot of effort into documenting like what happened here in Utah. I will say researching for this right now because of the movie and because of the docuseries that just came out on Netflix. Holy shit. There was a lot of the same like surface level. And that's why I was really trying to like find something different. So I was excited when I found that like the LDS, the interviews with his congregation and the people he was friends with, the people that baptized him. Well, Jeremy didn't mention that he found the registration that he bought his his car here in Utah. The registration for his car, and then on it, it has address, so that's when I looked up his address, and I didn't realize that there had already been stuff done on it. I went to the county records and pulled up the address. And the picture. You know, because Jeremy can do that. So, <laughs> I I said that I had, I called my aunt and uncle before this, and my uncle said that he was, like, just at the end of high school, and they used to go down alleyways, like, searching for Ted. Like, that's what their evening activities would be. Like, they would... I'm like... <laughs> What are you gonna do when you find him? That's what I asked. I was like, like, what was your what was your plan? But that's what they did as they would go search alleyways looking for him. Well, my mom was was just out of the age range and she was pregnant with me. And I've I've asked her about it before just because you know I'm always obsessed with anything 1975. And she's just like I I didn't really think too much about it because it, it. I was pregnant and I was out of the age range and my friends were all out of the age range. And so it didn't, I mean, even in Salt Lake, like you got to think about it. This is, it's still astounding to me, even in Salt Lake city, right? Salt Lake's fairly big, but, but we don't, it's not, the news is not murder, disappearance, murder, disappearance. Like that's rare. That's, that's once a month that we get something like that. If that, like usually it's, it's even like when I, when I visited Boston, like 15 years ago, looking to potentially live there, it was like shooting in Quincy, shooting at this street, shooting at this street in Chicago is a lot like that. Like, that's normal here people don't go missing and 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 back in the 70s to have one two three four five, like over the course of two months you have like six women attacked or missing that's that's serious news like that puts a, a serious fear on the community uh so i can totally understand like wanting to walk the streets and like because it's it's girls your age in high school like 16 and 17 and 18 year olds that are being kidnapped like i want to protect these girls i'm gonna be a macho stupid teenage boy like crazy stuff so i tell him i was gonna make a shirt that said vigilante for him <laughs> <laughs> well um I hope you guys enjoyed uh, hearing about Ted Bundy um, and uh, everything else that we talked about at the beginning that I forgot about already. Um, I had a lot of fun researching Ted Bundy, which is weird to say. Um, if you like what you I've hear. I've actually had fun researching all the, I mean, we've just done the two, but it's just been kind of fun. Yeah, it is. It is fun. And there's a lot more to come. Don't worry. We've got lots of others like Josh Powell, who is is recent, like within the last couple of years. Ten. There's, last ten years. Yeah, ten, there's, ten years. There's a lot. There's a lot. Porter so. Rockwell. Gary Ridgway. No. Yeah, Gary Ridgway. <laughs> Fuck, oh, yeah. I came across a lot of his stuff as I was looking Mark, up Ted Mark Bundy. Hoffman. Mm-hmm. My dad had interaction oh, with him. Oh, yeah. I forgot about him. So there's there's a lot of famous criminals that have been through Utah or from Utah. And but so, we might not just talk about murderers. No. No. Well, Butch Cassidy never murdered anyone. Yep. Uh, brilliant. Nice guy. Honest bank robber. Robin Hood. 
sort of. Billy. Robin Hood of the West. That's what they called him. I know that's what they call him. <laughs> I don't believe that that's necessarily what he was always. But um, anyway, if you like what you hear, please share it. That's that's what helps us the most. Uh, we don't do that Patreon thing, um, at least not yet. Maybe we will at some point. But uh, Stop saying that. What? That we don't do it or that we might do it? That we might why? Maybe we will. You don't know. Because it's like if it if it is, it's it's very far away. I signed up for a Patreon account yesterday. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, the sharing is what helps us. If you want to get a hold of us, uh, you can reach us at TNU Podcast on Twitter or Instagram or the New Utah Podcast on Facebook. Uh, also, if you have events coming up that you want us to share, go for it. Uh, let us know. We retweet lots of stuff. Um, we're we're fun to follow on Twitter because we do tweet out a lot of local Utah stuff uh, that's going on that we maybe don't even get a chance to talk about on the show. Hey, and congrats to Shireen. Yeah, I was yeah, just going to say Yeah, that. Count, Democratic Councilwoman at large for the county. That's uh, fantastic for her. She's finally gotten a, a I like spot. that she jumped right in and started working. Um, so really cool deal. Uh, we will probably jump back in with some legislative shit next week uh, as, as things start to come to a close uh, at the legislature. Um, legislator, I don't know. It doesn't matter. You Pretty said it right the first time. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, go to our website, thenewutah.com. There's going to be lots of links and Jess will do some cool blog post about uh, about Ted Bundy. She'll probably put like That's brother Bundy. mother murder scene and photos and stuff like that. I don't know what she does. I'm actually going to get that guy to come in. I've already talked to him. So. Yeah, so that'll be a fun conversation. Yeah, it'll be awesome because he's working on a book. Uh, he, like I said, he's done other, uh, he's working on like Charlie Square stuff, talked about hi-fi murders in Ogden. So he's got his hands in a lot of Utah things. So that's going to do it. Um, lock your doors. Uh, <laughs> keep your girls inside. <laughs> like I don't know what else to say, but um, yeah, thanks for thanks for listening. <laughs>